0: Welcome to the Friday Breakdown. You've made it this far. Congratulations. It's the end of the week. Let's go out with a banger. We've got a special episode. Ruby Ridge. We've got a Delta Force, former Green Beret operator, owner of First Responder Coffee Company and First Responder Cigar Company, Brent Tucker, with us today. Why did we choose Ruby Ridge? Well, I think it's pertinent to today's times. A lot of chatter, a lot of the man distrust going on. And there's a lot of opinions about Ruby Ridge, but like everything, we like to look at things from a law enforcement perspective. We try to be objective on cases like this, and a lot of people are starting to bring Ruby Ridge back up. Why are they doing this? Well, we'll talk about it, all this and more on today's Failure to Stop Breakdown. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police-
1: policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on Sunday. This is about the
0: police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Wedding. Boy, what is this? Uh is this a hot topic or something? Because you guys are uh you guys are, are, are heavier than ever in the live chats. You got Dustin, Tats cool dude, Low Ren, Will Cray, David J. Uh keeps just going and going. I'm not gonna read all of them. Deadline looks like he's found his way in here. tact cool dude. I uh, didn't think you would miss this. Not for one second. Guys, this is a very special, very special friday breakdown i'm really excited to get into it but first today's show is brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash wolfpack five zero sleep so good it's scary Woo! bed's made in the good old usa usa zero percent down zero percent financing and that's if you have no, that would be mean. I was gonna say uh, Randy Weaver credit, but I, listen, I don't. I don't think with Randy Weaver credit you could afford uh, much of anything. We'll get into it. That was a mean stab at Randy Weaver. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not not a fan of the guy. Okay, like I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm just trying to be funny. Didn't go over very well. Sometimes I just say things as I'm going. I don't really plan it out. You know what I'm saying. Also today, FactorMeals.com forward slash Wolfpack Five Zero fifty percent off your first week of meals. Meal planning to the next level so that you can be ready. The uh, maybe the upcoming apocalyptic doom, according to the J.P. Morgan strategist. Boy, if you haven't seen what he's had to say, go back and listen to our last call, uh, political news episode that we launched out on Wednesday. By the way, a lot of you guys into our political news stuff on Wednesdays. We've added more of that to our Patreon account, as well as uh, we ha- we have some correction officers on there with the show. We got down the bulge is a firefighter show on our Patreon. Lots of extra content out on the Patreon. It's like $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee uh, at Scooter's Coffee. It's less than a cup of coffee by far at Starbucks. So $3 a month, it helps us grow. We're actually trying to bring on some writers uh, for this year, as well as some more fact checkers. So all of that Patreon money goes to uh, employing other first responders and giving them a little off-duty gig um, uh, on the side. So if you want to be a part of that, head over to Patreon. Uh, let's go ahead and jump in today's show. Without further ado, let me bring on the one, the only, Brent Tucker, First Responder Coffee Company and Cigar Company. Good morning, sir. How are you?
1: Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. I don't know if it's the hot topic or maybe me as the guest that's bringing on the uh, the extra attention. I'd like to think it's me.
0: Yeah, it's probably, it, it, you've always had a very handsome beard. That's the one thing I noticed early on when I met you is, uh, yep. you know, that beard carries a lot of authority and weight.
1: Give, give the people what they want.
0: <laughs> Brent, real quick only I know you I know you I've known you longer than you've known that I've known you We uh, have a mutual friend that used to tell some war stories that included you uh, which I've always thought was funny in a way but not funny um, I don't want to tell your business if you want to tell that story you're more than welcome to on here but uh, I've had some running jokes about you for a long time but I never knew it was you until I actually met you uh, do you want to give the people a little closer glimpse of who you are and what you do
1: yeah uh absolutely I, first i'll give you my background and why you should care about what my opinion is on uh on, on sniper work at ruby ridge um i was a green beret for half my career um uh i was a sniper on my green beret team on a dive team uh, level two and level one sniper i went to uh the delta force for the last half of my career um uh, ended up on, on the recce team eventually because of my sniper background within as a Green Beret. Um, it's a fun fact, but it's not a fun thing to say. I was uh, entered the International Special Operations Sniper Competition uh, and got second in the world, which you'd think would be good job, but when you're in the Delta Force, I never got harassed more than I ever did for finishing second in the world.
0: Um, Who got and, first? Was uh, it Russia? Did Russia get first?
1: No, no. <laughs> uh, a, 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 actually, a green beret got first. Okay, uh, okay,
0: good. At least it stayed uh, in the
1: USA. Stayed in the U.S., uh, but he was he was a uh, not making excuses. He, he was a sniper instructor, so that was I mean that was all he did was you know shoot. And I was obviously right. still so, so operational at the time, so it is a big difference between. Uh, I basically got told the week before you're going to this competition. I said, "Oh, okay." So I am, um, and uh, yeah, trips all around the world. You name the country. That sounds like a a bad guy country. I've been there. I've operated there. Three different wars, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Been been a few places, done a few things.
0: Have you ever been to Ruby Ridge?
1: No, I have not been to Ruby Ridge. That was before my time. I was 12.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I don't do, think. What's yet. that?
1: My country wasn't calling on me quite yet
0: we quality quite. yeah uh you know uh the, the crazy thing about the um, the story with Ruby Ridge is it takes place in Idaho for those of you who don't know and, and listen a lot of people have heard the name Ruby Ridge maybe you've seen glimpses of documentaries maybe you've watched the whole documentary maybe you've heard a couple of podcasts I would like doing I would like to warn you that now we are in the day of mainstream media is dead. And I think there's a lot of podcasters, there's a lot of uh, independent documenters out there um, who realize that mainstream media is dead and they are making newer content and and telling more of the truth. And, And I think that's why this podcast is so successful is because we're not giving you what mainstream media does so uh, what a lot of podcasts though it's still in the new age of podcasts what a lot of podcasts like to do i'm guilty of it i'm not free of this but we th- we like to use what mainstream media originally reported on and then we tell that story just based on what mainstream media's story has already been i don't like to do that on a on a big breakdown like this so i really went as far as i could to find my own information in fact, check it. And, and what you come up with is a good reason why there are so many conspiracies, not only on the side of the government, but also on the actual uh, telling of the events from the people who are on the ground. And, and I don't know, Brent, if you listen to the podcast where uh, Sarah Weaver, the daughter that survived this. Did you hear the, the podcast with her on it? I did. As a law enforcement officers, I, I listened to that podcast. I listened to it twice because you have to separate yourself from the emotions of Sarah. And she was, uh, you know, she was there. It's her family. It's personal to her. But if you want to objectively look at this, you also have to understand that it was her family and she was 16 and she's going to have a very one-sided view of how things worked. And I'm after wa- listening to the show twice. Uh, I, I noticed the discrepancies in her tone of voice, and it was very easy to go and actually kind of fact check from there uh, why her cha- her tone of voice changed. And not that she was lying, but she was leaving out pertinent information that's kind of important to the whole case on both sides. I'm not going to pick sides today on who was right or wrong. Um, I I think if you wanted me to, if you wanted a quick opinion, a snapshot of what's inside my brain, I would say that both parties made a lot of really terrible mistakes. And when you have a lot of bad mistakes happening on both sides, I mean, bad shit happens. Uh, I want to start the show off though, and we're going to go through this objectively. um, And and it's going to be so great to hear Brent's uh, point of view, especially being a sniper and being able to, to, to fill in those blanks. Cause actually that's one part that I'm not really comfortable with discussing. I had planned in my brain of what I was going to say about the snipers, but I'm so glad that Brent is actually a sniper and I'm not going to be speculating. He'll actually have a uh, real world information for us, Brent, I, I really want to just start with, with one thing first though. Uh, no right or wrong answer. It's just a story. Have you ever been in a training scenario on the green beret level on a top of the uh, tip of the spear level? Have you done a training, episode at the top at the top level and it just was a complete failure or fuck not a complete failure because i know we don't use the word failure we're always learning something from but have you ever been like man we fucked that up
1: um oh well, uh yeah i got one that comes to mind it 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 it, it, it fits. i think it fits this but it's 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 probably the craziest training scenario i've been a part of Um, We were training for a a real world hostage rescue mission. And um, as we do, we're waiting on the word go uh, from our um, from our fearless leadership. That's too scared to make a call to send the boys and save an American Mm -hmm. in a timely manner. And so we are training and training. And every night we're hitting this we're hitting this mock target, this mock target. We hit this mock target hundreds of times waiting on the word go. Um, Unbeknownst to us. Hire was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna start doing some uh want I say hire, our initial hire, like the the guys with the ground headquarters that are that are with us training. Um they said we're gonna uh start working on contingencies, and tonight we're going to have a fake helicopter crash over to the side, and when they insert, we're gonna we're gonna tell them, hey, uh, you know, hilo down, go do this medical scenario. We didn't know that. I was on the little bird that comes in and this little bird comes in hot, hotter than usual. And it was, it was a felt what felt like a crash landing. We all get off. And as we're starting uh, to go put the charge up, I look over and, and this is middle of the night. Look over my nods. The boom of the helicopter breaks. We landed so hard it cracked the boom. And as it took off, the boom falls off this little bird and it starts tumbling into the woods thank goodness the soft North Carolina pine trees kind of saved their lives. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say break the fall because those guys were hurt and, and headquarters calls up uh, he, Hilo down and, and this is where the confusion comes in. It was already set up to be a Hilo down <laughs> as, a, uh, as a, as a, as a trading scenario. And we're like, yep, we saw it too. West side heading that way. And they're like, no, no, no. East side, east side, west side. to it. It's a little bird. They're like, no, it's one of the, it's absolute chaos, chaos. You have some people going to the training exercise that didn't see the actual bird go down. You had us going to the bird go down. We're, we're yelling out that you're wrong. They say we're wrong. It was the most, it was the biggest cluster I've ever been a part of. And like, like Ruby Ridge, The stars just aligned for that chaos, and it's kind of hard to get it replicated. Yeah,
0: I you know for me uh, obviously I'm not at the top of the tier, never was. Uh, did go through a lot of Green Beret training. Did not graduate the Q course, but went through uh, the, the main majority of the Q course. And I can even say in small unit tactics phase of of the mm. course. You know, in small unit tactics, I did it twice, all the way through twice. <laughs> uh, I failed the first time for leadership, <laughs> lack of leadership. Uh, I was attacked
1: twice. Sorry to hear that.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I was considered a pack mule at the end of the first cycle of, and they said, we don't want to see a pack mule. We want to see a leader. So I went through a second time being the class leader as a corporal. You, as you know, a captain is usually the class leader, but as a corporal, yeah. I went through the entire SUT, the entire thing as the class leader, I almost peered dead last at the end of that cycle. They said, you know, when you were Uh, when you were not the class leader and we gave you responsibility and you passed it off to carry heavy shit, you peered third highest in the class. When you were the leader and you had no choice but to be the leader, you almost got dead last. If we send you on to the next phase, can you get it in the middle for us? Um, And so I was very happy to go to the next phase. I'm glad they gave me an opportunity to continue. Um, But as you know, and even in Smiley Tactics, you train and you practice the same thing over and over again, right? Ambush scenario. uh, And you just run it over and over again. You do the little 24 hour, 48 hour uh, thing at the very beginning where you just do the same thing over and over again and, and you still fuck it up. Uh, I like to mention football teams, right? Football teams practice these same plays over and over again. But if one guy misses his block or one guy pulls to the left when he should have pulled to the right, you don't score a touchdown. And if, and, and, and these are guys at the top of the level, these guys are at their highest, uh, the, the, the at the highest level of uh, training and, and athleticism and all these things. And they still don't score a touchdown every play. And it's because it only takes one thing to go wrong. I want you to keep that in mind as we go through Rebridge. Ridge. It's very easy to point fingers in both directions. It's very easy to say that the, uh, the FBI and the ATF, they're a bunch of dumb fuckers. And, and, and all, we could say names forever. Uh, but just remember that even at the highest level, one mistake can, uh, can uh, really just kind of snowball, if you will, and it goes on. Oh, now let's go to the other side. Let's go on to the Weaver side. It's also important. It would be very easy to say that somebody who hangs out with or is seen with a white supremacist or a racist, that you could potentially call that person a white supremacist or racist. Does it mean you're a racist because you've affiliated with a racist? Well, that's for you to decide. Be personally No. Also, uh, we have to understand that just because that you have done things for a militia, does it make you a militia man? Man, maybe not. Maybe a sympathizer. If you commit a crime, are you a criminal? You know, we, that's the age old debate. I'd like, I would ask for you guys to look at it as if you would a crypt gang member. We all know somebody that knows somebody is a crypt gang member. Does that make them a crypt gang member? Uh, and so it's very easy to identify somebody or call somebody a name, and when you do that, it pigeonholes them and it paints a different picture. And in this case, if you call the ATF incompetent, it paints one picture. But if you call Mr. Weaver a white supremacist, that also paints a different picture. So, with that caveat, with that with that out in the air, I would want you to look at this objectively, hear the facts, and don't uh, pigeonhole either group here yet until the end of the story, and then we can paint a clearer picture of what happened. And then, you know, we could say maybe the court system's got it right or where they got it wrong. Uh, as the story goes, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Weaver family.
1: Uh, I, I lost the sound what? of you, of you, Eric. I'm sorry.
0: Are, do you still not have it or do you have it? Yes. Thumbs up, thumbs down. You hear me now? No. Okay. doesn't, uh, does anybody else oh, in the live chat hear you. me? Does anybody in the live chat still hear me? Let's see. Let's do this. Um, If you hear me in the live chats, hit yes. If I'm silent, um, hit no. Okay, so they hear me in the live chats. Uh, uh, While Brent is trying to get this back up and going, I will um, continue on with the story here. Uh, So Randy Weaver, was a Green Beret operator. There's some point of contention there. Some people will say that the DD-214 does not show that he was a Green Beret. Um, However, every reporter, every New York Times, uh, PBS even uh, says that he was a Green Beret. There's nothing that I have found that shows he's not a Green Beret. So I believe that Uh, Randy Weaver was a green beret and he did serve in Vietnam. As far as I can tell, here is a picture of him in a green beret uniform. And that is, you know, there's nothing stolen valor that that's glaring to me. Um, I wanted to get Brent's take on that. When he comes back, we'll let you know. But uh, for the, for the purposes of this, I was not able to find anything that disproves that he was a green beret. Um, also some people will have several DD two fourteens because they're constantly getting updated. If you don't know that as a civilian and you pull a DD two fourteen, but it was a DD two fourteen before he was a Green Beret, then of course that DD two fourteen will show that he wasn't a Green Beret. And sometimes uh civilians don't know that um inside of a house, like for instance, inside of my house, um, I don't have a printed copy of my most recent updated DD two fourteen because I have it online and I have it secured to my phone and that's the one I mail around, but I don't have a physical copy in my house, but I do have like three or four other copies. I have one when I graduated basic. I have one when I graduated airborne school and it got updated. Every time you get an award, your DD-214 has to get updated. So... Um, I, what I'm thinking happened in this scenario is that, uh, some civilian looked at a DD 214. It was a predated to him being a green beret. And so on Wikipedia and some of the other, uh, channels as of recent, they say he's not a green beret. I think he was a green beret. Um, I think there's a lot more evidence that shows he was a green beret than there wasn't. So for today's episode, I will say that he was a green beret, um, uh, and a green beret in the eighties. Uh, he was attached, um, there was a lot of things going on with Green Berets uh, in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s. Iran Contra was going down. There was a lot of stuff going on in Laos. There was some POW recoveries that were going on. They made the movie Rambo based on a true story as well. So there was a lot of uh, conspiratorial things that the Green Berets were caught up in at that time. Uh, as this story goes, Randy Weaver was connected to a church church. Um, in their uh, in, in their hometown, and they had a falling out with the church, and he decided he wanted to go off the grid. He wanted to get out into the middle of nowhere, and so Randy uh, picks up his family with his his wife, his three daughters, and his son, and they move to upstate Idaho. Uh, for those of you who don't know anything about Idaho, it is the last great frontier brent tucker is a friend has a friend uh, that that i am a business partner with who is one of my dearest of friends um he's in uh, a tier one asset as well um not delta on the other side he's a combat controller a cct for uh, some of america's most elite units and he's been on some of the most elite missions that america's had to offer so he's got some experience and um but he and i were talking about moving our families to idaho about nine years ago, we had a discussion that we were going to build a compound in Idaho, nothing to do with militias, nothing to do with religion. Uh, we just thought it would be, um, he and I both read the book, uh, The Frontiersman, and became quickly obsessed with being frontiersmen. And so we we did have aspirations. I think we still do have aspirations of one day moving our families to to the upper parts of Idaho. Are you Are you familiar with Idaho at all?
1: I don't know that I am. Boy, it is gorgeous.
0: Uh, uh, The upper parts of Idaho, close to the Canada border up there, um, it's the last great frontier. It's just no man's land. The hunting is amazing. The fishing is incredible. The landscape is, you know, it's the last frontier.
1: I'd imagine it's a lot like northern Montana, you know, as, as, uh, as similar, but I don't think I've ever been to Idaho.
0: Uh, I, I have not i have only watched many documentaries and looked at lots of property up there and the property <laughs> is pretty cheap um but yeah i mean you're off the grid a lot of places in idaho especially now this, this story is taking place in the in the 80s uh when he moves out there to to the, in the 80s remember we didn't have internet phones was still somewhat of a newer uh technology you know they were most people still had rotary phones in the 80s yeah um you know, and 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 phones weren't really a big deal. I can remember in the '80s, hey, we didn't really give a shit about the phone. I I don't know that I even talked on a telephone until I was like ten or eleven years old.
1: And and speaking of Idaho, if you 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 might remember the exact mileage, but he's he's like thirty miles from Canada. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's in the upper yeah. upper northern edge of Idaho.
0: Yeah. They're up there. I'll show you guys a picture of the landscape. Um, here, here we go. This is kind of a picture there. Very mountainous. Um, you know, big giant pines. Uh, like uh, I call them Christmas tree pines because they just look like big massive Christmas trees. Um, and then big giant boulders. It's very rocky. Um, and it's you're secluded, man. You are in no man's land out there. Even in the '80s, this would have been absolute the last frontier. So. And something um, tells
1: me it looks a lot like that today. What's that? And something tells me it still looks a lot like that today. Oh, yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, it's it's awesome. Brent, listen, I, I mean, if you're into rock climbing, if you're into uh, kayaking, if you're into gold panning, if you're into camping and, and hunting and all of these things, Idaho is the place to go. I mean, it's epic. I can't believe that it's still that epic. I never would have thought that uh, that I don't, like I said this was like ten years ago. We were obsessed. We were like, dude, we're buying this piece of land. We're moving out there. But even still today, they don't have electricity out there. You would still have to run your own electricity. You have to run your own. Cars. So anyway, uh, the uh, uh, Randy moves his family out there. Um, what what was your opinion, really quick? We lost you on him being a Green Bray or not being a Green Bray.
1: Yeah, Think that's 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 news to me. Um, like we talked earlier, yeah. You know, once someone reports a lot of circular reporting, at the end of the day, now like you're having to ask me, I, I now have what it was. Is that really him? I don't know. I'm going to look into that. But but and people talk about, well, we can't find on his DD 214. Um, we put a lot more uh, emphasis and reliability on today's DD 214s because of the electronic system that we have. But even today's DD 214s aren't completely accurate. There's several medals that I had to come out. And say, "Hey, add these to my DD214s. You're missing three bronze stars out of my DD214. So, you know, a, 19, a, late, a late 70s, DD214. Um, I'd have and to reach out to the Special Forces Association to get more credibility on whether he was or not than his DD-214.
0: Right. This this image I got here is uh, from PBS, from a PBS documentary that was written in the late 90s. So I don't think that they were necessarily faking photos in the late 90s or anything like that on the interweb. So I, I believe that this is a true picture that obviously looks like uh, some barracks behind them. Um, so you, you're not going to do stolen valor in front of fucking barracks um, right after uh, Vietnam um, I just don't right. see that happening. That's in the day and age where somebody would fucking bury you uh, out in Pineland. They wouldn't make a, a video exposing you. They would just dispose of you for doing that kind of uh, nonsense. So like I said, I, and I said that DD-214, sometimes civilians will go after a DD-214 and, and somebody might have like five different printed copies of their DD-214 because like you said, your first Bronze Star, you had a DD-214 for that. On paper, and then when you got your second bronze star, you had to get a new TD two fourteen, and so you would have two pieces of paper. And so, if a civilian that didn't know that went and grabbed, you know, going through a, a file box and right. they pull out, oh, here's this dd two fourteen. They didn't pull out the updated one. Yeah, it's uh, a
1: good place to start, but I, it's not the end all be all of someone's right.
0: career. Uh, and I say for all intents and purposes, I'm probably pretty sure that this guy was a Green Beret,
1: and and I and I, there's more
0: evidence that shows he was a Green Beret later on in the story and we'll get to it. So, um, uh, but I, I really do believe he was a grain beret um, or at least served very close to them and in any, in any circumstance. So he moves his family out there and uh, they want to get away from everything. Now I was listening to a podcast earlier. And I give a one-star review. Listen, you guys in the chats, you guys have been following this podcast. You know, I don't do one-star reviews very often. I get people, people have audio issues, podcasting's hard. It's not easy. I don't throw out one-star reviews unless they just don't even try. Now, I gave out a one-star review. I won't tell you the name of the podcast. I'm not here to shame anybody, but their facts were fucking terrible. And everything that they had to say, they were a LA-based, a Los Angeles-based podcast. And you could tell because they said like, wow, this is such child abuse and what cult-like behavior that Randy Weaver would move his, his family out to the middle of nowhere, Idaho, with no running water and no electricity. That should be child abuse. And that's a very, very strong take on life because I would argue that I think that is the essence of life here in my household. We are trying desperately to get to this. Not again, not because we're some kind of militia freaks or or some kind of apocalyptic doom freaks. I just feel that like when my kids don't have any screens, they're different human beings. Um, and if you guys have seen my, my, my five-year-old is uh, amazing with a bow and arrow. My 10 year old can throw knives and throw hatchets perfectly does it all day long. Uh, we kill squirrels constantly. my kids can can clean a squirrel and cook a squirrel uh, quicker than you could probably go to the grocery store and buy a steak yourself. So I think there is something uh, wonderful about that lifestyle. We're trying to get more into it. We drink raw milk, we do the chickens thing. Um, and it just is like I don't know makes it makes a family closer for, for us. It's not religious, it's not militia it's not apocalyptic doom. It's just man there's something really cool about playing Yahtzee with your family at night because there's nothing else to do because you don't have a
1: TV. I'd, I'd like to add one thing to, to that, that the, uh, the irony of, of L.A. shaming, uh, basically, you know, small town USA um, from, from a culture that will cut off their kids' genitalias and then, and then say Randy Reaver was, was child abuse, from the same people who claim open-minded and diversity is our strength, as soon as they see diversity and I ask you to have an open mind towards someone like the Weaver family. They, they shut it down and call it child abuse. Um, the, you know, the Muslim, we, I can go on and on on, on this subject, about how they embrace Islam and how it's absolutely against their, their ideas. But in, in the sake of open-mindedness, they embrace them. When it comes to small town right. USA, child abuse, you guys, are the devil can't even wrap my mind around it. The irony, yeah. of that statement is not, is not lost on me.
0: Yeah. So, and even on this podcast, and it wasn't just that particular podcast, there was several podcasts I listened to getting ready to this. I wanted to hear what other people's take on it was. And, um, and it was just wild to me that how many people had so many negative things to say about the way he raised his children. Um, one podcast said that it was modern day slavery, that his children were having to collect water and that they were working on the farm and that they had to do this thing. Now, if you listen to Sarah Weaver, tell the story of her own family right. She talks about it being the most grandy the, the most like unreal adventure She had a horse They were yeah. cattle driving Like how cool is that right You're cattle driving They would stop She was talking about fishing And, and the big Utah creeks and, and Or whatever creek she called I think it was called like big Utah creek Or something like that And she was catching these big giant trouts And they were frying them over an open fire And, and then they would ride the horses back And then they would do it again in the fall And um, she was talking about going down to the creek freaking drawing water with her mother, uh, they made their own clothing. And and if you're not, you know, if you're not into that, and I've been slowly getting into it since I got out of the military, uh, since I got out of the police force, was uh, I that one of the things I wanted to do. And my goal um, is to get out to a place like Idaho or to buy a piece of land and live like this because I think there is natural beauty to that, and I think it gets you back to your family roots. And um and, and you know, as a, being a green beret. You, when you' when you're in the the pineland, the night of all the training that you've been through, I don't know if you can remember back in those days, but wasn't there just something about sleeping out underneath the stars in your sleeping bag?
1: There's one other thing that I that as you're describing the way they live, they're actually living the way most progressives want to live, and that's basically a zero carbon footprint. They were progressives mm-hmm. before you guys were progressives. They uh, So, there's one, uh, another ironic uh, viewpoint of, uh, of that. And the other thing is, if you'd have told me to look at this story 10, 15 years ago, I'd have had a much different take as I reviewed and looked deeper in this story as a father of four kids living in a crazy world, which is what Randy Weaver believed he was living in. And it was, and I'm sure it was crazy then, it's gotten even crazier. And now I look at Randy Weaver the same way you're talking, and I go, you know what? I get it. I get it. I've had those moments where I think, you know what? It's just, it's, it's, this world is a lost cause. I'm going to take my family, live on a mountain, detach, and just circle the wagons. So as I get older in life, I, you know, as, as some people who are maybe younger and looking at him is that's a little crazy. The older you get, the more you're like, I don't know if it was that crazy. I, I actually slightly, under, I understand and almost align myself with that. He just had the guts to do it,
0: he just had the balls <laughs> to do it, you know. And, and, um, I think, you know, it, it, being him being a Green Beret, um, and in, in the 80s, you know, you're just coming right after uh, Vietnam, um, and later on in the story, there's a guy named Bro Grites that's gonna eventually end this whole thing. And, and Bo had some, uh, some, you know, uh, controversial service related uh, missions and his viewpoints after his missions. And there are rumors that Bo and, uh, Randy were friends. Some people say that that's not true. Sarah herself says that's not true. I don't know. I rely on Sarah's word of remembering things from 15 years ago. I mean, from when she was 15 years old. Uh, but from her own mouth, she says that, uh, that Bo and, um, that that Bo and uh randy were never friends but you know again like would my son know any of the people that i know or affiliate with no he doesn't so i, I don't know if i believe it or not i do think it's odd that they they pick out Bo grides to to come in and that he's the one that diffuses the situation we're going to get into that here shortly and, and i'd love to get prince take on that when we get there uh however um he has some ideologies and, and he talks about a new world order and that's crazy because is it so crazy because now uh, it's kind of all we hear about now uh, with this, uh, the World Economic Forum. And so a lot of the things that he was scared of back in the 80s are actually coming true Um uh, moral, the, the, um, uh, degradation, degradation of, of moral values in this country. Um, you know, that was one of the things that he wanted to get away from. He just thought that the morals were going to hell in a handbasket and they've only gotten worse. And so like, like you said, I kind of align myself with Randy in this situation. He had the balls to do it. He got off of the grid. Um, and, and, and so he gets out there now, while he's out there, this is where things kind of go awry. Again, there's no internet or anything like that. When you're in a place as secluded as Idaho, and if you watch any Western movies and you go out to these gold mining uh, camps, you know, all throughout California in the the late 1800s in Alaska, no man land, what do you find a lot of, right? There's a lot of riffraff. There's a lot of people that are trying to get away from from trouble you know maybe they got a couple of convicted felonies uh you can look at the case that we covered out of utah the dylan rounds case i mean that's a town of 56 people and out of those 56 people in the town which were men and women so if there's 56 men there's probably you know 26 of those are probably i mean if there's 56 people 26 of them are probably female but 29 people out of the 56 in that town We're registered sex offenders and it's in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, Utah. And that's where Dylan rounds went missing. So um, these rural, small off the grid places are just a habitat for uh, probably some of the worst human beings on the planet, as well as some of the the best people on the planet. Either way, there's not a lot going on out there and there are no neighbors. And so uh, at one point the weavers allow somebody to stay on their property, much like the Dylan rounds case, Dylan rounds allowed some riffraff to stay on his property that eventually he had to kick off. There's a farm down the road from my house. It's a beautiful farm, big horse ranch. And, um, she is sold to the earth. She's a veteran and she probably once a year has, uh, to, to remove somebody that she allowed to camp out on their property because they don't fucking leave. So, You know, it comes. I guess it kind of comes with that territory. Randy Weaver in the '80s, late '80s, is going to remove this person from his property and take him to court for twenty-five hundred dollars. And Randy wins the case. And out of retaliation, this guy calls the feds, writes a letter to the feds, and says that Randy Weaver is a white supremacist, that he hates the government, and he has plans to kill not only the pope, but the president of the United States and the governor of idaho and that's where all of this kind of starts so this letter gets sent out and that's what i'm going to say is randy's first mistake in this it's an innocent very innocent mistake allowing somebody to live on your property and uh, and it backfires but uh, you got to be careful who you let into your life but he
1: no good deed goes unpunished
0: no good deed goes unpunished and he's gonna have several good deeds that go extremely punished (laughs) so he so the fbi shows up to randy weaver's house uh and questions miss weaver vicky and randy and of course uh what he's like i didn't write that that's not even my signature somebody like this i'll tell you who forwarded my signature but like here's my signature and here's that letter and would i be that stupid to write you a letter sign my name to it you fucking serious like come on and the pope like how would i even kill the pope like we live one these guys are so fucking poor the weavers are poor their house is made of plywood they don't they have to park their car according to sarah miles away from the house in the winter time because the snow is so bad That they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to go anywhere. So they have to literally travel by horse. They didn't have a snowmobile because they didn't have any money. They didn't have four wheelers. They didn't have a golf cart. And so they would have to get on their horses, ride to wherever the car was somebody would stay with the horses. They would get in the car. They would go to town. They would get the groceries. They would bring it back. They would load the horse back up and then they would horse back up onto the mountain. So, you know, how is this guy going to go kill a a Pope, a president or anyone um, when he doesn't have a pot to piss in or a window to even throw it out. So Randy Weaver, uh, they kind of squash that, but now they're on the radar. Randy then uh, gets invited to another church sarah will tell you that uh, they hated church and that her dad didn't trust anybody because of the fallout that they had with the church that led them all the way out to idaho to get away from i'd love to know the backstory on that don't know it but i uh, would love to know what scorned them so bad that they were like "Fuck everything we're getting off the grid um but they get and they get involved with this very radical cult like church cults were really big in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s remember the satanic panic we got waco um, David Koresh, you got the uh, what was it? The Haley's Comet. Cults are a big thing. Now we got Scientology. You know, and some of the most prominent people are tricked into Scientology. Look at Tom Cruise. Look at uh, Mila Kunis and all these other folks. John
1: are. Coulter. goes on.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and like, are these dumb dumbs? You know, I mean, like, are we calling these guys fucking weirdos and wackadoodles because they're uh, they're in Scientology, or do we all just kind of accept it? So I don't find this guy getting wrapped up into some kind of cult-like Christian church uh, as wackadoodle is, you know, I, I don't find that surprising to you. Like, people no, cross I, I, I mean, they're fucking people crossfit.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there's the biggest cult of our generation right there, crossfit. <laughs> um, I, I view it like this, and I normally uh, hate this terminology because it gets overly used, um, but you do become a product of your environment but and what I what I more mean by that is yes they detached but they still go into town they still make friends you're you're still you still have you know they don't want to not see anyone they want to not be a part they want to detach from the system if you will and so when the only people around you are these right wing fringe type churches and establishments that becomes who you affiliate with now it's very between his daughter and even and even him it doesn't mean he aligns with them in fact he, his daughter says that he loved going down there they were a very religious family he loved going down there and he loved a good debate and a good argument you know and in a good way you know not not a right. not a violent argument so i think it's very natural to become a part of that society as small as it is they wanted to be a part of a small society so i don't think it's crazy that he he ends up going to those churches he never joined any of those churches but to be a part of that of that society, that's natural.
0: Yeah. And you've got to have somebody to trade with. Um, you know, it, it, I have a friend that lives in the Outer Andex and uh, Soul to the Earth Human. If you've ever met anybody from the Outer Andex, I guarantee you, you've never met an asshole. Um, and I asked, and, huh? Go ahead.
1: And, and, and they're, they're off grid living. Yeah. Yes. You want to be independent, but something is going to happen out there and you're going to have to call a neighbor. You're going to need help. Something is going to happen. And you are going to want someone to know you and be a friend. And Randy Weaver, uh, as we'll get into this story, obviously he he helps, you know, a, a broken down card side of the road. No good deed goes in. <laughs> He's also the type of person that, you know, that would be like, hey, call me when you when you have problems, too. That's the type of society you live in. You have to become friends there because you're going to help them when they when they need help. And you're going to need help at some point, too.
0: Yeah, these are like your three o'clock in the morning friends. Yeah, they'll answer the fucking phone at three o'clock in the morning. I asked my friend though, I said, man, I've met a few dudes. There's a guy from Ranger Battalion, um, that I knew, uh, he was in Ranger Bat at the time and, and I was in the military and I worked uh, with him on a, on a training operation out in, in California with a SEAL team. It was a big joint op and, uh, we were doing link up, um, maneuver like doing uh practicing link-ups tactical link-ups in california and i guess it was in preparation for for a for an operation that was going to be taking place overseas and i got to be a part of it it was really cool but i made friends with this guy uh this ranger from ranger battalion and and he was from the outer Andex. and and just assault the guy just took me under his wing um we did everything together um when we got weekend passes we went to vegas together we did a bunch of stuff and he was just a really great guy and 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 throughout the uh, years i met other guys from the outer Andex. and i finally asked my one buddy that was helping me build the, the distillery i said, man, I have I've never met one person from the outer andex that's an asshole. Like I've met like four people from, and they've all been like my closest buddies. And like, what are the odds that they're all from the outer index? And he just looked at me and he says, well, when you live in the outer index, you can't be an asshole because a tree is going to fall up to your house and everybody's going to, you can't call. There's no contractors to call. Yeah. There's no insurance claims. There's no, you know, if your snowmobile breaks down, either somebody answers the phone or you die. So, sure when the phone rings, we answer it. When somebody needs something, we go to it because you're going to be next. And if you're the guy that says, Oh, I'd love to help you. I'd love to let you use my tractor, but I just can't, you know, well then when you need somebody to pick you up at you know, midnight in the forest weeks, your snowmobiles broke down, you'll just die. So uh, again, these guys are very uh, close and attached to those around them, you know, because of survival purposes. I mean, it's a survival type situation. Again, what an amazing way to to raise kids. And, and I think your kids would be 10 times smarter and, and healthier, right? You don't have vending machine problems. You don't have anxiety issues. There's no prescription pills. I mean, there's no smoking, no vaping, no porn addiction. I mean, I, honestly, I don't know how you can, can condemn somebody who wants to live this way. Uh, I, I think it's a very admirable way. It's a very gutsy, ballsy, as you put it, way to, to live. So he, he aligns himself, not not aligns himself, but he, he makes friends with these guys. At one point, they tried to get him to go into the church, this Aryan Nation church. And according to Sarah, according to some of the documents I've read, he never went in. He was like, I don't fucking go. I don't go in church. I don't fucking do it. You know, I can relate to that. It's hard for me to go to church, man. Not because I'm not a believer, but because I feel like, like I'm a dirty presence there. You know, you know what I'm saying? Do you ever kind of, you know, feel that way sometimes? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe I'm just a crazy person.
1: But. I want to get ahead of something. Now. I want to go ahead and get ahead of something because someone's gonna go, you know, look this up, or someone's gonna, you know, maybe they they'll see these later. He does mention some things later in life. But people do change in life. What we're talking about and describing about Randy is, how, is what he is at this point in life. And everything we're describing is, yeah. is true And this point in life. Um, obviously, he's about to have some very traumatic experiences that that change his perception on the world, reality, and even God. So you yeah. can find things he says later on in life, but that is later on in life. Everything we're talking about is true to the, to this point in this era of his life.
0: I would love to have asked this dude, like what, like what happened that got us to this point? Like what, like, what did you see? What did you hear? What did you know? Where did you catch it from that made you, made you want to do this? But regardless, it doesn't matter how much information you, you look at this guy. It's obvious and apparent. He just doesn't want to be fucked with. He wants to just be with his family and and he wants to raise his family in in his way And that's the beautiful thing about america is that we should be allowed to live like that We shouldn't call these people crazy cultists just because you wouldn't do it. Listen, I think it's disgusting to live in a a big city I can't do it. I could not I didn't even like working in the big city I hate going to the big city because it's a concrete jungle to me and i'm like, oh look at you guys You guys are disgusting you you're fuck you guys eat all this crap and you, you do all these things, but yeah, you know, listen to each their own. Some people want that lifestyle. I don't, I want to get the fuck out and, and, and live off the land and stuff like that. But everybody's got their own thing. It's America. Do what you want to do, baby. Uh, so anyway, let's just fast forward to all this. Um, he ends up uh, an Aryan nation has like a big giant international Congre- like um, Congress meeting and a bunch of KKK members and everything go to this thing, and of course a guy like Randy is curious about it and he goes and and I think. I believe Sarah, when she says that he went there to be a part of the argument now, it, you know, it's, it, it's a lot though, Brett, it's a lot, it's starting to add up, right? You're letting nefarious characters that would write the government a letter live on your property. Now you're kind of hanging out with Aryan nation white supremacists. And now you're kind of accidentally going to a Aryan nation Congress meeting to argue. I mean, it's like, it's adding up and it's going to add up to a lot more. But if we're going off of the word of Sarah, that's her side of the story. So he's going to, but he, he goes to this meeting and he meets this guy and this guy wants him desperately to go in. He doesn't go in, but they become buddies. And and, and as Sarah puts it, they were like argument buddies. He would, you know, uh, Randy would argue against the white supremacists, but, you know, who knows? Maybe not. I, I, this is, again, going on Sarah's story. She's pretty attached to the story. And uh, of course, she doesn't want to believe that her father was a white supremacist. Maybe he was but again, I'm going off of her story and, and uh, I'm also going off of the evidence that he did not actually join the Aryan Nation or partake in Aryan Nation behaviors. So um, he becomes friends with this guy and this guy asks him, hey, you've got some knowledge of how to saw some shotgun. I'll pay you to saw off these two shotguns. So according to the story, this is, uh, and this is the story that the both the feds and uh, Sarah kind of tells the family tells the same story and he says no and this goes on for like over a year this dude's trying to get him to solve these shotguns and finally he's like fuck it I'll solve the shotguns now these shotguns were going uh, a, a, a confidential informant this is a confidential informant that he's become friends with that's important to note and a confidential informant who has a criminal history now Brent what how do, are you familiar with confidential informants and how they work
1: I, I am from running sources overseas, which is a confidential informant. Um, so, in, in that aspect, very, very much so.
0: Did you trust them? Did you trust your confidential informants?
1: So, inform in well. At, at, at the way we run sources, they they get a uh, basically a, a confidentiality or a, uh, a we'll call it a trust designator uh, put to them based on the their background, your level of trust them and the work they've done and the validity of of work they've done so far. And so uh, our sources will have designators to them. And so you can, even if I'm working with them for the first time and he's someone else's, I can see that designator and have at least an understanding of how much I I can or should trust this guy.
0: Works the same way in law enforcement. Um, You build cases, you might build five minor misdemeanor cases to see how trustworthy it is before you start going off of felonies. Actually, that's pretty much the policy and the standard is you run, you know, five or six kind of low level buys, if you will. Um, if that's what you're going after, that's, that's the CIs I worked with. Uh, we we would buy, you know, f- you know, misdemeanor amounts of, of drugs. And then we would kind of hear his story and his telling of it and review the video and see how trustworthy he was. And, and then, and then you would kind of grow that CI from there, but every CI confidential informant starts from somewhere. Um, And and this is important because uh, for the most part, CIs can't really be trusted for a while. They have ulterior motives. You don't just wake up one day and say, I want to be a snitch. You know, these guys come with a, like, there's a certain psyche that goes along. Now, Can people break that side? Can people break the stereotype? Can there be good confidential informants? Absolutely, but ninety nine point nine eight percent of confidential informants have some mental issues that they that they that brings them that. Um, and and a lot of those issues might not just be mental, but they are afraid of going to jail. Give you an example. Uh, I had a school teacher buying cocaine in a, a prostitution area that you would only go to to get prostitutes and crack as well but there's a lot of other places to get crack or cocaine in the city other than like the most prostitute filled street. So like, was he there to get crack? Absolutely. Was he there to also get a prostitute? Absolutely. And uh, he was, um, uh, I think he was a middle school, maybe he was a high school teacher. And uh, he was like, I'm a school teacher. You know, I can't, you know, this is just misdemeanor. I was just buying weed. And I was like, yo, you don't come over here to buy weed.
1: You don't come over here to buy buy past seven other places to buy weed to come here.
0: Right. And by the way, I'm not just surprised that these people didn't laugh at you because I don't even think they sell weed out here. Like, this is (laughs) a hard (laughs) shit that they sell out here, homie. They don't even sell fucking weed here. So I bring them into the station and and I say, look, dude, it's going to look really bad the way I'm going to tell this story because I'm going to tell this story that you were – uh, buying marijuana in a prostitute area that only sells crack. So I don't even believe you were buying weed. I believe you were here to buy a hooker uh, and some hard drugs and you're a school teacher. And I don't think that's going to look very well to the media. And he was like, how dare you try to strong arm me and blah, 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 blah. And I'm going to take you to court. I mean, I was like, that's great. Let's go to court on this. Because when I tell my side of the story and I show them the video of you buying the drugs uh, and doing all these things, again, it's going to expose who you are. Not really. Nobody's going to give a fuck about me. And so he was like, well, okay, well, what do I do? How do I make this go away? And I was like, well, I mean, you could do some buys for me. He ended up chickening out and not wanting to do any buys, uh, not because he was stubborn because he was a coward. He didn't want to get shanked or shot. Um, And I respect that. Look, hey, he's a school teacher. He's not a warrior. He doesn't want to do it. Uh, But that's how CIs typically work. You get somebody cornered into a situation like that and you go after the bigger guy. So in this case, there's a CI, a CI in Idaho and a CI attached to the Aryan Nation Brotherhood Already, I'm going to say, like, that's strike three. That's not a trustworthy guy. Like, you've got a dude that's attached to the Aryan Brotherhood. He's attached to motorcycle gangs. He's living in buttfuck nowhere, Idaho, and he agrees to be a CI. This dude's a dirtbag through and through. So uh, this guy, uh, after over a year of trying to get him to saw off shotguns because he has the know-how... they need some money, as Sarah puts it. They need butter and milk, um, and some sugar to get them through the winter. And so the dad's like, "Fuck it, I'll sell off these shotguns for two hundred bucks. It's more. It's worth more than what the shotguns are even worth. By the way, a permit to sell off shotguns at that time was two hundred dollars. So a two hundred dollar permit, and he would have been legally." free of, of sawing off these shotguns. Isn't that funny how the government works? Like, yeah, you can saw off a shotgun, but not until you give us a $200 fee. At the end of the day, I'm not sure why we care if somebody saws off a shotgun. Uh, is that is a sawed-off shotgun any more dangerous than a, than a Glock 19? Or You know what I mean? Like,
1: There's something I want to bring up about that that's very, very interesting, is he, he did do it, and just like you said, after a lot of course, now it's starting to rain here. Can you hear me? You want me to put on? Oh this? yeah, uh,
0: I could definitely hear the rain, but it's okay.
1: Okay. Um, is that? It, it's not like he just he asked him once. He was like, "Yeah, sure, I want to do illegal activities." He pressed him and pressed him and pressed him, and I had to look up the definition of entrapment, which I'm sure you already knew, but I had to look it up. And and for the listeners, the definition of entrapment is basically is asking someone to do something that they wouldn't normally do in this situation. So if a police officer goes up to a drug dealer and says, hey, will you do something illegal for me by buying drugs? That's not entrapment because he's a drug dealer and has a history of dealing drugs and doing it in the past. Now he's just asking you to do it to him. Randy Weaver has no history of doing this type of of illegal activity. So just by asking him to do this alone is entrapment. So you are asking him to do something legal that he wouldn't have done if you wouldn't have asked him to do it. That's one. Two, the to make it a felony, you have to saw off the shotgun, the barrel below 16 inches, or the overall length of the shotgun to 23 inches. He does, I don't know if he does this intentionally, but he asks him to do it shorter as a felony. Randy actually didn't, he did alter the shotgun, but didn't do it to the felony length again, I don't know if that's a mistake or, or Randy is just, maybe that's a, a subtle, I don't really want to do something that illegal. It actually doesn't even uh, saw him off to a felony level. I just, I find that to be interesting.
0: Yeah. It really kind of paints this picture that this guy is kind of an I don't don't want to be mean I really like Sarah but when I heard her tell her story I'm like god this guy's kind of an idiot I mean like that's what you would say it's like and he's a good idiot like he's a nice idiot but like he reminds me a lot of myself this is like some stupid shit I would get myself into actually I have gotten myself into shit just like this. Where you're like, eh, I kind of fucking hate the government anyway, and I don't really give a shit, and I do need butter and sugar, but I'm also not here to commit felonies. I don't know, but listen, neither here nor there, but yeah, I mean, it's a stupid move. He saws off these shotguns for this informant um, after being pressed for over a year to do it. You find him at his wits end. He really needs this sugar and butter, and look, gosh, man, like, I want you to empathize with this guy in this moment because... We take things like butter and sugar for granted, but like, listen, like imagine that you can't like the only way to get butter and sugar is to commit a crime. That's how kind of poor and off the grid these guys are. Uh, And at that point you're detached from reality, dude. City life is gone so like sawing off a shotgun like who gives a fuck you're in the middle of, Like, in his brain he's like who gives a shit wait right. is there two banks here to rob with a fucking sawed off shotgun like you know what I'm saying like for, for him he's like hey, who cares like I, I'd rather have the butter and sugar so he saws off the shotgun and uh, it's a confidential informant the whole thing's recorded They put out warrants for him, and uh, he's driving into town one day. As you said, there's a busted up car on the side of the road, and that's what kind of guy Weaver is. He pulls over on the side of the road and out pops the Fed boys. Um, They throw his uh, wife, Vicky, down into the the snow. I don't have a problem with that. They mention it in a lot of podcasts. Um, They don't like it that they threw Vicky down in the snow. She's innocent. But listen, if somebody's got warrants, and they're known to carry guns, I got no problem putting somebody face down in the snow. They do retrieve a gun from Vicky. He's legally carrying it. Um, they remove the firearm for from her. She doesn't get arrested, but they take him and they take him to jail and he goes bad. But hey, he was really upset that they threw his wife on the ground. Understandably so. Of course, when you don't know why you're being arrested and you were just there to to to, to help fix a car. I'm sure it was kind of like an oh shit moment.
1: deed um, goes unpunished. It seems to be a reoccurring theme here.
0: God, right? Don't do anything nice for anyone. So they take this guy in. They let him know, look, you're fucked. We got you. By You sold off these shotguns. And I could just, I, I'd like to put myself in Randy's shoes right now where you're just like, damn, I came all the way out here to get the fuck away from everybody. I mean, I fetch my own water. I don't rely on you. The government for anything. I hunt my own food. I catch my own water. Like I don't need you for anything. I'm here on my own. Why are you fucking with me? Like you came to my house to ask me about a letter that I did not write. I told you I didn't write it. Now you've got a confidential informant fucking with me, even though I've never been inside of this church. Um, it's like I could just see him going like, okay, you got me. I sold off a couple of shotguns. Like, this is the Wild West, baby. Who gives a like? And here's the thing, too, that I, I know Randy was thinking. Whoa. Again, what is anybody going to do with a sawed-off shotgun? Like, right. th- you know, that you wouldn't do with a, a rifle or that you wouldn't do with a pistol. I mean, this is Idaho. You could literally hunt a human being and nobody would ever know. And he's got to be <laughs>
1: frustrated about it. But as, as he is, you know, told why he's being detained. He's got to be fuming the whole time going, I didn't even want to do that. That guy asked me time and time and time again to do something that I didn't even want to do. Yeah. And so if and he I wanted to do it. You know, done he done first. he asked. <laughs>
0: right. So now he's sitting there and he knows he's fucked. And here's where the story gets fishy. Uh, and it gets really fishy from here. They tell him that he's bo- he can bond himself out, but his bond is his home. It's a $10,000 bond and that his bond is his house. So if he doesn't come to court, he loses his house. Now his interpretation of what they said was, if you're found guilty, we're going to take your house. Now, Sarah tells the story and she says that they physically told her father that if he loses the case, he loses the house. I don't know if I believe that or not. I don't think that the court system gave a fuck about Randy um, or what the Fed boys were doing with Randy. Um, I think, you know, the court sees so many different people in a different day of all different breeds of of human being that they're not like, let's entrap this guy and fuck him over by uh, giving him false information. I think it's more likely Randy was so mad and so upset, probably had a lack of sleep. I don't imagine he slept very much while he was in jail for the night or two that he was there. And he probably just interpreted it as, I don't know what a bond is. I mean, if I got arrested today, I don't, I still don't know how bonds work. And I podcast with a bondsman. <laughs> so I don't know how it worked. I, I seriously, I don't, I don't know how it works. Um, I, I don't really care. I know I'm not going to go to jail for anything because I don't do anything to get arrested for. So, uh, but anyway, I, I can see where he misinterprets the whole bond sitch. He gets a court date. This is where it gets really creepy. He does get a court date, but the court date doesn't give time for the Fed boys to fly in right? These fed boys are so detached. They're not even from Idaho. They're from big city, Washington or Vegas, probably Vegas or Austin, Texas or Dallas or something like that. They're big city boys. So they have to fly into butt fuck nowhere, Idaho to even take care of this case. And they're so important, so important fed boys that they push the court date back to March. They push it back from February 10th. I think it was all the way to like March something. And, um, and so they push this. They push this case back to March, as I recall the story going. And uh, it doesn't really matter the dates of when it got pushed back to. Um, so they push it back. Um, well, they tried it. Go ahead.
1: It, it, it does matter because, as, as I understand it, it, it happens in reverse. March twentieth is his court date.
0: You're right. You're right. You're right. And they moved it up to February. And they moved
1: it forward. And that's when he Missed his court date. And this would, I, I would like to know more on this. And you may, you may know this, you know, with your law enforcement background, uh, you know, the, as the story goes, they, they push it left and that's how he misses his court date and which is, which, and now he's a felon, misses court date. I'm not going to jump ahead, but um, we'll yeah, no, I, think
0: I just went by and looked at it. So what it was, was that it was originally set for like February 10th, but then they were going to move it to March so that okay. the fed boys had time to fly in. And then they were like, no, let's not go to March. Let's do it February 20th.
1: And and as a guy who lives off grid and has no uh, reliable means of communication, he was unaware that the March date that he was tracking was now moved to Feb back to February. Right, misses his court date, and that's I had a lot of questions about that. I do too.
0: Well, so the court system is fucked, dude. And it's embarrassing. And it it probably was even way worse in the nineties because of, uh, you know, you have clerks of court that are filing things and man, listen, I, um, I pulled over a 80, 80 year old woman. Um, and we had just, just had a briefing about when somebody has a warrant, you must arrest it is a court order that says you must arrest because my squad was not uh we did not give a fuck about warrants we had too many other things going on in the inner city that serving a bullshit misdemeanor warrant would have taken you off of your beat and if you're off your beat for more than an hour then some gang member would stab another gang member or shooter literally like we had to take our lunch breaks we couldn't leave certain areas of the city for more than an hour because somebody would get shot or stabbed if there wasn't a cop rolling through that area every 30 or so minutes. And so you were really shunned if you got a bullshit warrant and you made the arrest because an arrest would take you no less than two hours. You have to drive all the way to the jail. You got to process them into the jail. You got to wait to see the magistrate. You got to get the probable cause of the magistrate, so on and so forth. Um And so, uh, you know, you know, we 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 were not serving a lot of these warrants. Well, because we weren't serving a lot of bullshit warrants, our beat bags were getting more and more full, and before you know it. Everybody on the squad's got like 30 warrants in their beat bag. And so they give us a big hoopla meeting where they say, listen, you shall arrest. If you pull somebody over and they have a bullshit misdemeanor warrant, you shall make this arrest. Stop letting everybody go. And it just so happens that the very next day I pull over this 80-something-year-old lady. She has a speeding ticket failure to appear. I ask her about the failure to appear. She says she pays the ticket. She literally had A a receipt from the clerk of court From paying the ticket I'm like yo I don't know what this is about I'm gonna follow you to the jail. We're gonna take you down there, and we'll figure out I'm not gonna put you in handcuffs or anything like that. I get down to the jail. The jail says, What are you doing? You can't bring anybody in here without handcuffs. I'm like, I just need to see the magistrate. Pretty sure this is fucked up and it's bullshit. She doesn't have a warrant. They're like, No, put her in handcuffs and process her just like anybody else. So I handcuff her, I drive her around to the Sally port, they bring her in, they take the mugshot. She has to sit there with all the shit bags, she has to sit there with all the drunks and the cracked heads and the prostitutes. She has to go to the same nasty, stinky room as everybody else, only to find out that even the magistrate. Magistrate can't figure out why she has a warrant because she has no nothing. Nothing says failure to appear except the the electronic system that we have. She does have the receipt. She does have the show that she was in court, and they just kind of set the whole thing off. And this woman goes home. Well, what if this woman wasn't eighty years old and she was, uh, you know, kind of like this guy? Uh, Randy Weaver. And she fucking is like, I'm not going to jail. And she tries to shoot me and I kill her. Um, and that that's on the court's fault. The courts really fucked it up. So it doesn't surprise me that in 1992, the courts were this fucked up. Now, the bad thing about this is that this case got the attention of the media. And so the media is following this case and they go to the judge and they're like, Hey, it's only a couple of days before this guy's court appearance, but he hasn't responded to any of the letters that you guys have sent him or anything saying does he know that his court date has been moved from March back to February, from March 20th back to February 20 something. And the judge says, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, then March, then February 20th comes, his court date happens and he doesn't show up. So they take out a warrant for his arrest and the U S marshals get involved. Now the U S marshals also have the same question. Well, hang on. We have two court dates for this guy one in March and one in February. And they explained to the marshals that, yeah, we moved his court date back. Well, does he know it? We don't know. Well, if he doesn't know, how do we have a warrant for his arrest? And it goes all the way to the judge, back to the judge, goes all the way from the clerk, back to the judge. The judge makes the decision. Nope. He has a warrant for his arrest. And the media puts it out that this guy has an arrest. Now, I would have to imagine, Brent, do you want me to bring you back on or did you want me to keep you off? Uh, You're muted. You're muted. You have to unmute yourself, but feel free to take yourself back off if you're not ready to come back on.
1: Because uh, of the because of the rain hitting the the, uh, you're fine.
0: Um, and so, you know, this judge is like, we're going to do it, and the media gets a hold of it. Now, uh, the, you know, a lot of questions are like, why does the media give a shit about this? Well, I mean, it's butt fuck nowhere, Idaho. <laughs> you know what else? What other news are they covering? And so, with the way the news covers it, much like today's mainstream media, and this is why I talked at the beginning of the show about labels. They call the guy a white supremacist. They call him part of the Aryan Nation Brotherhood. They say he's selling off weapons for illegal motorcycle gangs, and almost in, like instantly, everybody in the United States hates the Weaver family. Now here's where it, you know this is where I say Brent, um, he's not doing himself any favors right he's not checking his mail which i get it like i'm i'm a i'm a victim of this too i throw away probably a lot of mail that i shouldn't uh you know misses a court date on if you add it up if you just add it up and i know there's an excuse for everything but if right. you're a law enforcement officer you're like so this asshole accidentally starts hanging out with Aryan Nation guys he accidentally becomes friends with RCI. he accidentally sells off some guns he accidentally misses his court date you know what i'm saying there's a lot of accidents here, and as a cop, I'm like, yeah, right. I don't buy this shit at all. This,
1: this is the perfect storm. Almost, well, I was talking in a, in a with a lot less moving parts in my training exercise, that you couldn't, we wouldn't have, you could have never dreamed up that would happen. Right. It's happening. It's happening right here. And as I, you know, dive deeper in this story, I start realizing this is a. a truly is one of those weird events where both sides can be painted as right and can be painted as completely just. And I I see, I, I completely see how Randy, you know, becomes, gets in this situation and has the mindset he does. And I completely see how the feds get to this point as well. Now, again, I'll save a little bit more, you know, for the rest, but at the end of the day, you can have two wrongs, but someone is more wrong. Yes. And, yeah. And, and at the end of the day, it is part. It is the Fed's job to do their due diligence and find out where this information really came from and and how valid is it. And instead, what ends up happening is they just start basically fear mongering, and this fear-mongering fear mongering turns into this this perfect storm of of Ruby Ridge.
0: But we can see that today, right? We see the fear mongering with Kyle Rittenhouse, uh, the fear mongering with the the George Floyd case. I mean, there's a lot of things that the media does to enrage everybody and allows things to play on their emotions. And this is happening in Ruby Ridge because they're up on Ruby Ridge. Again, separate from everybody. They had a radio because this is a federal case. They have the federal marshals. So it is not called a warrant at the time. He's a wanted fugitive because the marshals are looking for him. So there's nothing going on in this small town of Idaho and the press who's dying to cover something because they have to keep their job, right? They, they've they got to make money. They've got to sell to advertisers. Here they have the words fugitive in their town and they start promoting it as, we have a fugitive on Ruby Ridge. Who's a part of a white supremacist group who is uh, sawing off shotguns for an outlaw motorcycle gang, even though it was two shotguns and it wasn't, you know, and it wasn't really the case. But the media puts this out there and guess who hears it over the radio? The Weaver family, Sarah, uh, uh, she she recats uh, hearing this herself on the radio and was like, oh, my God, they're talking about us. They're talking about my family. So the dad freaks the fuck out. And he's like, now I'm a wanted fugitive by the fucking marshals. And like, this is all because they think I'm trying to kill the president. And I'm a Green Beret and I know how this shit works. And they're going to fucking take me out. Like, this is all like, he made it personal. He was like, and, and, and I would do that too, you, you know, because you're sitting there in your own mind and you're like, hold on. Like the feds came here two years ago because some asshole wrote that I'm trying to kill the feds. And then they've got a CI that was trying to convince me for almost two years to solve shotguns. I like, they're trying to entrap me. Like, and this then is they old- move my court date. <laughs> then they move my court date. Yeah. And then they tell me they're going to take my house. If I lose, you know, like they're out to get me not today. Motherfucker, (laughs) not on my watch. So, you know, he then says, we're not leaving our compound. That's it. We're staying here. You want me come get me, except he doesn't say it. There's no social media. There's no nothing. However, Vicky starts writing Congress folks. She starts writing letters again, old school, getting a stamp, putting it on and mailing these letters. Sarah will go and say that she read the letters that her mother wrote. Um, and that the letters were no worse than what she sees on social media today and people saying things. She's frustrated. She's like, what's going on? And then she talks about for 18 months, they live, they don't leave their property for 18 months. Now their property is massive. We're talking like acres and acres and acres. They can go horseback riding. It's not like they're stuck on your half acre lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to get rid of that city mindset. I mean, this is a massive property here. So uh, they're not like confined to like a prison, right? You know, like house arrest, Um they're still going down to the Creek. They're still fishing, right. still hunting. They're still doing all the things that they would work in their garden. They're still doing all the things that they would have been making their own clothes. It's not that big of a difference. They just haven't been to town in 18 fucking months, but during that 18 months, you know, nobody reaches out to them. Nobody tries to negotiate with them. Nobody tries to, to, you know, the local sheriff who, um, uh, randy was friends with and and had a relationship with never came up to the property to to try to talk to randy no they just let this go unspoken for 18 months but during this 18 month period randy finds trail cameras he finds the leaves unrustled uh where somebody had a fighting position now you know as a grain beret Right. And, and through a lot of the training that I've been through, we know what to look for. Right. Like if you're right. walking through the mountains of Afghanistan, you know what three, three rocks stacked up uh, in a pyramid are versus what a white rock is or a red rock. Like one's for landmine designation and the other one is for uh, showing you how far away from the mountain sniper you are. Right. You
1: know? and, and I, I'm sure you've done this, too, especially after doing SUT twice. Uh, you, you know what a good position is for observation. And it's not just seeing leaves rustled it's seeing leaves rustled or things not natural in a position that also happens to be a great position with a great vantage uh, point of your house. So it's not like, well, any bear could wrestle. We could, could wrestle up uh, leaves and and make a mess here. It's, it's where it happens. These guys live on this mountain. They know where animals go. They know where animals don't go. And because of his tactical background, He knows what a good position is, what a tactical position is, and what isn't.
0: And a lot of people always ask, like, what is a green brain? I'm not going to get into all of that, but, the, you know, their patch, even their insignia kind of shows you that they are attached to Native American hunting like right. culture. And in the 80s, they were really into this. So like their whole job was, you know, basically hunting humans in Vietnam and, and training and and and, but living off the land, they were embedded with these, uh, you know, savages, as they would call them back in the day, you know, in the 80s, you know, they were embedded with these folks. And so they took on a savage mindset that is why they have the arrowhead, um, you know, on their, their patch. You know, they, they're all about sea, land, and air, and becoming one with these whole things. And they live by, you know, uh, the, oh, what was it? Was it Roberts Rangers? You know, the you know, shoot them until you see the whites of their eyes and finish them off with their hatchet. Like this is all very much of their per, their personality and their mindset. So, walking through the woods, finding a deer camera, and then finding these loose ends that are left by uh, guys who aren't living that these city boys, if you will, uh, it really stands out. Like, holy shit. So I'm up here, nobody's tried to come talk to me about any of this. And now you've got deer cameras. By the way, nobody knew what a deer camera was back in the 80s. Like <laughs> oh, right. you know what I'm saying, like, this must have been like, yo, what's what yeah. is that doing in my tree? You know? Um, and you have lived away at this point, they had lived nine years, more than nine years, out away from big city life. So again, they're just detached from reality as we know it. They're in their own little, and so I can't imagine them just being like, wow, wow, we're not bothering you. Like we're, we're out in the middle of, like, how can we're not bothering you? Why are you coming all the way from your big cities? Why are you coming from your, your Dallases and your DC's and you're coming up into my shit and, and you're making me, you know, so I can really see where he's afraid
1: and uh, he's like Look, I'm- this. I'm- let's put another you know perspective on it. 18 months, we get to look at it back in, in history and feel like it, it it all happened real quick. For 18 months they live like this and and as, as we can both attest to, you don't live on on the edge on high alert for 18 months. It's physically impossible. It's hard to do that for a couple of days. So even though all this weird stuff is happening, when nothing happens for 18 months, at the end of the day, they, they just go back to living life as normal. You know, it's not like they find a deer camera every day on their property. Uh, it just becomes, you know, I'm assuming it just becomes life to them. You know, they don't know how it's going to end or what's going to come of this. But after 18 months, you just go back to living off your land and uh, assuming someone's probably going to come talk to you at some point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the common sense way of looking at it. It's like, well, somebody will come and tell me that I fucked up, you know? Like somebody's going to come and talk to me about it. Like they're not going to just like let this continue on and then just bury me out here. Like somebody's going to come and mention this. Um, but I'm not going to be taken by the federal government because he doesn't want to lose his house. He doesn't know where he's going to go. And there's a lot of paranoia that goes with this. Again, Not very smart on his point. Uh, He could have just walked down the mountain and went and saw the sheriff himself. You know, he could have got on horseback and stayed in the woods and used his training to make it all the way to the sheriff's apartment and, and, you know, weird, obscure clothes and pled his case to the sheriff that's allegedly uh, an acquaintance with him and that he sort of trusts or would have trusted, according to Sarah. And then they could have turned himself in, but he didn't. He was like, now, you know, and hey, listen, don't fault the guy. I'm the same way. I'm a stubborn, bullheaded guy. Like, don't tread Uh, on me, bitch
1: hindsight's 2020 a lot of things you could have done but he he had no reason to believe that uh that it's going to be a standoff at this point there's really nothing that truly uh indicates there's about to be armed conflict here
0: right so uh these people who put the deer cams up obviously had to come onto the property at some point probably in camouflage and put these cameras up what they wanted to do according to the fed blaze is that they want to, I don't know why I say it like that. I just, I don't know, have to like a, a tick. Um, but they, they want to know, uh, the layout of the land because it sounds like already they want to tactically and dynamically. Correct. Do yep. this. That's- they don't want, they, it doesn't sound like they're making any preparations to try to do this any other way except so like they're trying to gain Intel on this. They're trying to find out how many weapons he has. They're not really trying to reach out to the wife at this point. Doesn't look like they're trying to make contact with the kids at this point. I know a lot of times when I was serving a warrant on somebody, I didn't want to, to, to serve a warrant on. Um, I would often go to the mother's house and be like, Hey, I just want to be straight up with you. Jake. I might not be real with what the warrant was about, but I'll be like, yo, Jake. has got a warrant. It's something easy. It's a, a driving while license revoked. It's really homicide. Um but you know hey can you can you get me in contact with Jaquan? Like where is he at these days? I just want to get this taken care of, you know. Um I would at least make efforts. There's no efforts being made with any of the family members until it's way too late in this case. Matter of fact, uh that would have been the first thing I think any common sense law enforcement officer or agent would do in this scenario is is try to make contact third party. Um, I don't even think that's a tactic that needs to be taught. I think that's just something common sense. Um, if I don't like Brent and Brent, or if I say something and Brent is offended and Brent makes it clear he's not talking to me, I'm going to go to a third party, maybe a Tyler or or maybe Brent's brother or maybe my friend Lee or something. I'm going to call him. I'm like, hey, can you reach out to Brent? and Let him know that like, hey, I fucked up. I shouldn't have said that. Like, can you know what I mean? Like, it's just common sense that we- you can you can make contact with somebody via third party. It's not. We-
1: We've done it in Afghanistan, time and time again. If there is a village that we don't think we uh, can get to without, um, without a massive firefight, without violence, but we don't know for a fact, we will go to a neighboring village, get a village elder, and have them go, you know, go basically on on our behalf and kind of figure this out before we just go in guns blazing for no, for no real reason.
0: Right, kind of plead this, your
1: case. Right, it's the same type of situation they could have done here. Even though they are very isolated, and it is, it's, it is, it's a lot, it's a little bit different, obviously, and as you know, than than what you're describing. Because his mom did live there, and the, and they're isolated, but there are people that they would have let on their property with with no the sheriff with no problem say, hey, go go go, go talk to this guy. They could have done that. Yeah, and, and we, I think it's really important to remember that they've done nothing violently wrong. <laughs> oh, and so that's, but that's. A, so let me let me paint this picture from the Fed side. But again, it goes back to the fear mongering, and I'm not saying it's right. But let me tell you the the, the mindset uh, that they've put themselves into. Um, they they have heard stories because Randy was very uh, vocal about. Not to say I don't, I don't want to say he's very vocal. It's a well known fact that that Randy has said that he has a 300 meter. Um, uh, basically sectors of fire around his house and can protect his house. I get, that gets taken out of context. When he was talking about that, he's not talking about if any feds ever stepped foot on my property. These are things he said years ago. I, I grew up in small town, small town, USA. My grandfather, my grandfather, who was a cowboy, had a house protection plan for his house in case you know someone ever came to his house. So I've got my left one, and right
0: limits out yeah. of every window of my house. <laughs>
1: so they were very fearful of going up to the house because of this, uh, suppose, you know, firing range of 300 meters, uh, 360 degrees defensive position that he has at his house. So that's one of the reasons that, um, they would probably give why they didn't do that Two, There was other fear mongering going on that they were, they were talking about most dangerous courses of action of uh, to say, Hey, he has booby traps around his house. He has a massive arsenal you know, in his house. And they start building him up as something, as cherry picking some things he said and about his background that just aren't true, that they should have done their due diligence to find out if it's true. So all these things are um, atmospherics of the situation. And instead of doing their due diligence and figuring it out, they just took him as truth and started implementing these plans and said, hey, there's only one way to take this, and it's by force. And we need to put in these sniper positions to get what we'd call a pattern of life, which is what, what you were just describing. When do they, you know, when are they active at the house? When are they not active at the house? What do they carry? What do they not carry? How do we start collecting intel to do a hard hit on this house? That is why those and there are two sniper positions at at the time of the incident where we'll we'll get into. But that's 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 why they were there. They're absolutely planning a, a tactical ambush at this point.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe they're gonna kidnap him on his way to get water or something right. like that. But like they even if kidnapping he, you two
1: guys, you know. Right. They needed all this information to come up with the the assault plan.
0: It, it, somebody in the chat here says to find arsenal. Now listen to that know this is yeah. Idaho. And everybody's going to have a lot of guns. Um, I'm actually going to show you guys a picture of all the guns recovered from the things. I don't call that an arsenal. Um, I, you know, I call that under my my bed. <laughs> That's that, those are just the guns I keep underneath my bed. You know, um, <laughs> those are everyday carries uh, for me. <laughs> but, uh, uh yes. Yeah, so, but you know, you're right. They have painted a picture, and not only has the Fed please, uh painted a picture, but the media has painted this picture as well. So the the media and and it's super funny because. Um, Heroldo uh, is going to get wrapped up into this um of course and and, and he's going to make things worse for everybody which I thought was pretty pretty ironic and pretty funny in this in this case no not funny but pretty bad in this case so anyway um so they got these sniper positions up and um uh I've been to recon reconnaissance school Uh, through the military. And I started out as actually as a Cav Scout. And um, when I joined the military and deployed as a Cav Scout. And so we did a lot of uh, OP training and observation post training and a lot of oversight and watching stuff. And anytime you're in in training, or even when we were in Afghanistan, you know, I don't know, there was just, you know, when you're 19 or 20 years old, and you've got a little bit of training under your belt, uh, it's kind of tempting to try to get as close as you can. Uh, kind of touched the bear. One time we were doing a little practice operation where we were supposed to look at a cemetery and document everybody that came in and out and get as many gravestone uh, informations as we could on the ground. So it was just training and practice and fun. Um, it was an old closed uh, thing and it was like, I in not get talky, you know. But, you know, we were all, I think I think everybody got caught because we all were trying to get as close to this cemetery as we could. Uh, you know, it's like you're playing G.I. Joe when you're a kid in, in these cases. Well, I think the Fen boys kind of fell into this trap where they're trying to kind of test their limits at one point, And this is going to be very crucial. And I'd love for you as a sniper to talk about this, but they begin to throw rocks towards the dog to see how the dog was going to react. According to them, according to their documentation that they were trying to entice the dog to see what the capabilities of the dogs were. Um, it just seems to me like they were playing old GI Joe games. So let's see how close we can get and sh- kind of stir the pot. Do you find any reason why you should be throwing the fucking rocks at the dogs? I mean, if you can get around snooping around without the dogs, even knowing you're there, wouldn't that be cooler than throwing rocks at the
1: dog? So, and and this is, you know, the problem with, you know, open source, uh, you know, uh, gathering and trying to, you know, f- you know, piece, piece the puzzle back uh, that we have to do. Um, the accounts that 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 I gathered is that um, they were not enticing the dog. That that would be new to me. I'm not saying it's not, it's not that it's not true. I, I didn't run across that. Um, but I did run across the foot they were filming. Um, the I said there were two OPs. There's yes. a film out there on the internet of the uh, of the OP hearing the dog barking and hearing the shots fired at, at the other OP. What what I believe happened, and I'll dig in more into this. So we'll just call this my opinion version of the story um, is that they were basically compromised by the dog. Um, the dog smelled their scent. Uh, obviously, the, the son and the family friend were out out for a walk. The dog did what dogs do and have done to me in Afghanistan and Iraq and all over the world. Dogs are you can't out. You can't out hide a dog. And the dog found him. And the dog was barking and continued to get to their position and continued to get to their position. And uh, was barking in a very aggressive manner and they and, and they shot the dog. And I've shot dogs uh, before. So I don't know and if we, that's we what they were a, doing or, or we that shot
0: dogs hurt. in Afghanistan as well. Um, that was actually a big thing. I, I actually had a pro, not I didn't have a problem with it. I don't want to sound like a bleeding heart, but like sometimes I was like, Come on, guys, like do we have to you, fucking shoot this dog? Like
1: that's right. You, it's a little ridiculous, but like some people shoot dogs a little quicker than than I would. Yeah. Um, Yeah, (laughs) but again, I'm not
0: even like a huge dog fan. Like I'm not one of these like dog lovers, but sometimes I was like, come on guys, like, Honestly, like if you fucking shoot my dog, like I'm going to become a terrorist and I, I don't even care about my dog that much. But, uh, well, I'll read this. This was, uh, the encounter near Weaver's cabin. Um, again, this is from Wikipedia. So you gotta be kind of careful with, with it. But, uh, later the, uh, let's see here. I'll just start at one point this again, coming from, from wikipedia.org at one point, Roderick through that, Roderick being one of the snipers, uh, th- uh, threw two rocks at the Weaver cabin to test the dog's reaction. The action provoked the dog's Weaver's friend, Kevin Harris, and Weaver's 14-year-old son, Sammy, emerged and followed the dog striker to investigate. Harris and the younger Weaver said that they were hoping the dog had noticed a game animal at the cabin was and, and that there was some meat. They'd been up there for 18 months. Of course, they would want to you know eat something. The recon team, Roderick, Cooper, and Deegan, initially retreated through the woods but remained in radio contact with the op team the observation post team but later took up hidden defensive positions later the op team and weavers claimed the dogs were alerted to the recon team in the woods after neighbors at the foot of the mountain started their pickup truck the recon team retreated through the woods to the wide junction and the trails 500 yards west of the cabin so i mean when you go on that it kind of sounds like they were. Yeah. You know, there's an OP, they're bored as fuck. And they just well, came up with something to do. No.
1: <laughs> I I I don't know if I'd go to that extreme about it. Um h- however, it it was a bad tactic to say I, I understand why they would want to do it. That those those are things that uh when you're in planning, uh that that some junior guy or less experienced guy says, Hey, why don't we do this? And uh and usually someone goes, No. We're not doing that. It's <laughs> uh, not it, it like there was no one there to say, no, we're not doing that. I understand. I do. I understand the why they would want to do that and, and, you know, the, the cause and, you know, the, the reaction that they want to get to, to further develop a, a pattern of life or, you know, how, how aware are these dogs, are these dogs, something we're going to have to deal with, um, I can see that happen. I can see that happen.
0: And I can see it happen again. That's why I went back to asking you at the very beginning of the show of, uh, of training accidents, because even at the top level, we make bad choices. Again, the football team, if football teams were perfect and even though they train and they practice and they're the top tier and they're the most athletic, if they did things right every single time, there would be a touchdown scored every, every snap. Um, and in this case, this is where the Fent Bunnies make their biggest mistake. They fuck up. One guy drifts left too far. You know, they, they didn't pull the right block, or you know, they they didn't go in motion when they were supposed to. Whatever they throw a rock at this house, it alerts the dog, and the dog goes after them, and they have to tactically retreat to, in this instance, a tactical position or a defensive position, as they call it. Um,
1: go ahead. To, to stop to to give you a little more of uh, my perspective as a sniper. And as a sniper's job really isn't to shoot things very accurately, very accurately at long distances, although that is definitely a part of your job. A sniper's job is to collect intelligence. That is really the, the, the line share of your job. And it is to do that by going in and coming back out with all the information that you can possibly gather without anyone ever knowing you were there. That is your job. And for these guys to have this some sort of plan to try to get a reaction from the dog is again, I understand why you would you why you would want that information, but it totally undermines your your job of while you're there. They should have never they should have never done that. The the <laughs> risk and the risk and reward of that information, as we're about to find out, was absolutely, absolutely not worth it. And as an assaulter, I I don't to be honest. I don't care about that information. I really don't. Right. Uh, when when the assaults when the assaults going on and, and pushing forward, it's you know it's it's kind of too late. And whatever the dog wants to do, that you know the dog gets a vote. It's it's all I want to know is do they have a dog? That's that's all I care about. Does you know did he does does he bark? Did he bark at you? Yeah, when he barks, does the family come outside? But nothing that would require me to go through a rock at the house to get that type of information. This is where i going. I don't, was, you know, I don't normally a... say this, but that was amateur hour. And I, <laughs> I try to be very professional and give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm not out here to cause controversy and tell someone they suck. And Delta, now, now now the short is Delta Force says Marshall's reconnaissance sucks. Um, but in, in, <laughs> no. this, in this particular incident, that was bad. That was bad
0: tactics. And and you got to remember, though, that these guys are no slouches, right? Like, you don't just, you you know, you don't graduate sniper training, sniper school because you're an idiot. You've got to be pretty smart. There's there's just a lot of things that go into to sniper training and sniper school, um, that just not everybody can do. Like you could be a very athletic guy and not make it through sniper school. These aren't just like your, you know, bro dudes that are making it through sniper school. You've got to be you gotta be a little bit sciencey, you gotta be a little bit nerdy, you
1: got to be a little bit patient, man. You've got to, you gotta know, That was the word I was going to use. You got to be patience. Patience is everything on a reconnaissance position. And what they failed to exercise was patience. The information they got by throwing rocks would have sped forward, you know, the the time it took to get the information they wanted about the dog when they could have got that same information by being patient.
0: And I understand that. There's a lot of times that I was in as a police officer. uh, Maybe not so much when I was in the military, but even in the military, I know that we did a cordon in search of a village one time, and uh, I was on the recon. I was on the 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 recon for this at the observation post. Uh, We had uh, we 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 had an observation post on it for like twelve hours before the actual. cordon in search of the village happened but like i wanted it to happen like i was sitting up there like oh god let's just hit this fucking place like let's go like what are the infantry guys doing what what's taking so long so i get i you know it's like and you've doing this for 18 months i'm sure that you're like come on let's just fucking grab this nerd like are you serious? Like, I could grab him right now. Like, I want to go throw a rock at the fucking house. Like, I I, I, I kind of understand, or, but like you said, that's amateur hour, and these guys aren't amateurs. These guys are top of the tier. These guys are U.S. Marshals. These guys are fed boys, um, and they should, uh, they should act like it. However, this happens, and these dogs come out. They retreat to a defensive position. Sam, let me put a picture of Sam up here. Now, this is uh, – this is sad. I, 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 this sucks. Uh, Sam and this 28 year old who lived on the property named, um, uh, what was his name, Kevin? Uh, I believe his name is Kevin. Uh, we've been talking so long, but this is Sam. He's 14 years old and he's a small little guy, just a tiny little sucker. Uh, did not look 14 at all, according to all accounts. He definitely was just a kid. Again, they're not eat, they're not like the 14 year olds of the day where you're eating your steroid infused chickens and your, your, you know, McDougats every fucking meal and your Chick-fil-A's and your terrible public school foods. I mean, this is a kid that's living lean, you know, so he's a small, he's a small little character. So him and Kevin take off down the mountain after the dog and Sarah said, she literally was like, "Ah, I don't care. Like, I mean, that's what they do. They love to go find the bear. They love to to, to go, and and it's a very adventurous life that these kids are living. So they go down and chase it, and the dad gets on it as well. Like, oh, he's on to something, because the dog doesn't act like this. Dogs never act like that uh, unless there's something crazy going on. So they take off. uh, Long story uh, short, and uh, the dad comes up on men in camouflage, ghillie suits, and he says basically like what the fuck are you guys doing um and is it the other uh the other op the uh the dog runs up on the other two guys and uh those two men the recon guys shoot the dog and that is in the vicinity of of uh Samuel and uh Kevin uh, Kevin Harris Kevin Harris and so Sam responds with you shot my dog you son of a bitch and fires off three rounds into the woods, into that direction. Now, the woods at the Y intersection are very thick. Cypress, spruce, uh, uh, trees that are very thick. And the logging trail is pretty clear and wide open. So it's hard to see into the woods. It's very easy to see out of the woods. And you could probably attest to that very well. So it's understandable that Sammy would have no idea who he's shooting at or in what direction, maybe a general direction. Um, And then Kevin also returns uh, fire in that direction and they shoot back a total of 19 rounds are shot. Two people end up dead. Sammy takes one 14 years old to the back of the elbow, basically blowing his elbow off. And then another one that rips through his back and through his heart, killing him almost instantly. The fed boys jump out and uh, get into a vehicle, run the dog over on the way out and um, and then they leave. The dad ends up uh, recovering the child. And you can just at this point begin to realize that your whole life has changed. It's early in the morning. And this is all just boiled over into some fucking guys in camouflage just shot my child. And it's all adding up. And um, they return back to the house. They take the child Sam's body to a shed. This is the shed right here. Um, the mother in grieving pain, agonizing pain, they clean the boy up. It's very sad. Uh, and now they're just waiting. They're like, okay, this has got to be, like somebody's got to put an end to this. Like they just, now it's gotten out of control. That doesn't happen. A siege. There's, has-
1: a de- there's a dead marshal. Yeah. 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 As well. No. right now during, it, and during this exchange of fire one of the yeah, marshals gets this and dies
0: yeah that's a that's very important note there yes uh was it deegan i think his name was right um and i had all this memorized but we've been talking so long that everything's mobilizing together um so yes so, so, so in this exchange uh they fired and hit deegan in the chest uh they believe that bullet came from kevin harris however it's never been proven where that bullet uh who shot that bullet that's uh, there's some conspiracy theory there that it might've been friendly fire, um, because the round didn't match what weapon Harris was, was carrying according to Kevin and that family. So I, again, I don't know. Um, but that, that's still up in the air, but they, they blame it on Harris at this point for shooting Deegan. And now the, uh, the siege happens and they, 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 they set up a camp at the bottom of the hill. um, the media flies over. This is where... Mon, uh, what, what was his name? The guy with the big mustache back in the day. Harold, uh, yeah. Harold Rivera. Flies over in his helicopter and reports that the family shot at the helicopter. That's not true. There's zero evidence that shows that. And even the footage that was filmed by the helicopter doesn't show that. But that went out to the, uh, the rest of the team. Now, let me read you this. This is the ROE. This is the rules of engagement that were put out after Deegan had been killed Saturday, August 22nd, special rules of engagement were drafted and approved by FBI headquarters and the Marshall service for use on Ruby Ridge. This was allegedly out of Washington. According to later RRTF report and the DOJ, the river R, R-, R- O E rules of engagement were as follows. One, if any adult, if Any adult in the area around the cabin is observed with a weapon after the surrender announcement had been made deadly force uh, could and should be used to neutralize the individual. If any adult male is observed with a weapon prior to the announcement deadly force can and should be employed if the shot could be taken without endangering any children. Now, that's a very important rule because it kind of goes against rule number one there. Number three says, if compromised by any dog, the dog can be taken out. And number four, any subjects other than Randy Weaver, Vicki Weaver, Kevin Harris, presenting threat of death or grievous bodily harm, FBI rules use of deadly force apply. Deadly force can be utilized to prevent the death or grievous bodily injury to oneself or the other. The ROE was then modified from adult to adult male in ROE 2 to exclude Vicki Weaver around 2.30 or 3 o'clock p.m. After consultation with um, higher-ups, uh, Glenn uh, was not seen on site for Deegan Slang. The ROE were communicated to the agents on site, including the HRT, sniper observers prior to the deployment, communications that included the change of adult to adult male to exclude Vicki uh, was not uh, was not given to the snipers. They had already left. They didn't have any communications with them at that point.
1: Let, let me let me stop you there just real quick and paint a picture. There, because maybe not everyone will understand how all these entities became involved. So, the ATF from the early on obviously were involved because of the uh, the sawing off of the gun. So it was an ATF investigation. Once he misses his court date, his court date, and he's now a fugitive, because a lot of people start muddling this up. Now the marshals are involved, and that and to this point, when the marshals kill uh, his son, and now we have a dead marshal, that is only now we have the ATF and the marshals there. At this point, the marshals now have a, a a dead marshal, and the FBI hrt is now involved because now you're now you're killing feds uh in in a in a a standoff situation i say all that to say the feds are now coming into this the fed they're all feds the fbi is coming into this situation and this is what they know about it so the, the fbi was not involved in this before this they get called in under just this premise which is true but again, it's not the whole story. They, they weren't involved in from the beginning. When they arrive and these type of REs are put out, they know this. Green Beret, we rehash all that, you know, uh, isolationist, anti-government. He's already proven to be violent, killed, killed a Fed, and now we're involved. So when they get involved, they don't have... The background that everything we just said—they get involved at a very high level, and the fear mongering just continues.
0: And they were told that he shot at a helicopter. And I'm sure, by the way, yeah. HRT is nothing but seals. At this point, um, mostly seals and some green berets uh, in the early, in the 80s and the 90s. Um, and a lot of these HRT guys were also involved in Waco. Um, so these are top tier guys. These aren't slouches. These aren't idiots. They're not ignoramuses. These are professional. You know, like this is the professional football team I told you about and the information that they're getting shooting at a helicopter, Green Beret, uh, isolationist, uh, Aryan Nation, motorcycle gang. I mean, damn, I'm ready to fucking kill this guy with that information. You know right. what I'm saying? Like, I'm yep. like guns up, giddy up. Like, fuck him and his cult family because I don't know. Right. Um, because I don't know, because I don't know what the, you know, because I, again, the picture wasn't painted. So I, I do want to say that um, when I read this, you have to look at it from both sides. And and I don't know that any of these, you know, I, I don't know, Sarah talked on her, on her pod, on the podcast. Um, it's a very, very good podcast. It's very sad. Um, but, she, you know, she talked about like, why would you shoot a 14 year old boy in the back while he's running away? Why no, are you a sniper? That's not no, probably what happened. That's not probably what happened. The the guy didn't put the kid in the crosshairs and say, fuck this boy. Um, They ran from a dog. They got into the woods. They shot a dog. Some dude started shooting at them. They probably took cover. They probably reappeared from cover, got a sight picture and took a shot. When you are aiming at a human being, you don't really see man, woman, child or thing like that. What you see is a very blurry sight picture of your target you're focused on that front side post uh, tunnel vision is probably set in and it happens like this bang 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 i reappear and i engage and then you say fuck that's a kid you know what i'm saying um but at that point he had been shot at. So i don't think that he consciously i wish i could tell sarah i would be more willing to bet that this guy didn't go oh he's 14 and he's a little boy bam you know what i'm saying
1: I, I, I'll give you that I, that that's what you just described is, is is absolutely true and it does you know kind of my, my fatherly instincts kick in and and I do have to sometimes step back a higher level of training and you know I had 13 combat tours it's it's easier for me to be calm cool and collective you know during something uh, this chaotic. but let's yes these you know these uh, well these, these marshals at the time, they're marshals or snipers and, and and you described them correctly as as uh as as highly trained people. But this is this is nineteen ninety-two. They're not combat veterans. They have experience, but it's low level conflict type of experience. When they get in this shootout, this is unlike something they've ever seen or been a part of. This is not something they've they get to fall back on their experiences on and say, hey, you know, let's we've been here before this is how this is what right looks like they're they're winging it they are they're you know they're they're trying their best to do to to make the best decisions in a in a completely new environment they've been exposed to
0: yeah and they got to know they're fucked like damn it we shouldn't threw that rock at that house you know and they just oh, yeah. ran oh, yeah. and who knows how far oh, yeah. they ran you know and so the adrenaline Absolutely. is very high so I would love right. to go back to Sarah and tell her, look, I, I know that it's an emotional, but if we detach emotions from it, I, I, I'd be willing to promise that this guy didn't say, you know, I'm going to shoot this kid right. in the back two times because he's a kid and, and he didn't. But, but it is sad and it does suck. Oh, it's and, horrible. And, and and, just like, and, but
1: just like we, we said, the, the, the two sides of the story is crazy because everything the feds, not the feds were more in the wrong. But yeah. as we unpack this, I understand it. Switch yeah. over to the dad now. With everything else we said, and now you came onto his property and killed his dog and shot his son in the back. Oof. I, I, I it, My heart breaks. Yeah. And then the story only gets worse. It and only now, gets worse. And now I. this is why we're in this situation. And I understand why Randy Weavers is in the mindset he is. And the, we're not giving up. There's, there's nothing to talk about at this point. You've been screwing me over from the beginning and now you killed my son.
0: And now you're trying to kill my family.
1: Now you're trying to kill my family.
0: You're trying to kill my family. And they retreat and as Sarah will say, they went back to the house and they went to sleep that night. Began to rain in the morning. The mother got up and got a pail and collected water off the roof. What an awesome testament to being a mother that your son was just murdered. You weeped all night. And you still have the cognizant, like, you still have the wherewithal to say, it's raining, let's collect water. That is a powerful mother.
1: Oh, man, without a doubt.
0: Wow, insane. And so you have this 15-year-old girl, Sarah, and then you've got the two younger sisters, and your son is dead. And you've got this other boy that lives, and the dad um wants to go out to the barn and see out to the shed that i just put a picture of to go look at their baby boy again Uh, And, and and wow man my heart breaks because wouldn't you wouldn't you just like
1: i can't i honestly can't imagine i really can't imagine as a father putting myself in this situation right now and as a family like what they're going through what their mindset is how what that night was like you know for the family it's it's uh it's, it's it's hard to wrap your mind around
0: Sarah talks about and this is where the evidence comes in that he was a green beret um the first thing that the dad did was put the boy into the shed and cleaned all of his wounds cleaned him up and then addressed the children she said that her dad often and she uses the word would often brief us on everything everything that we did as a family my dad talked to us first about it and our opinions mattered. That is a real green beret type family. It's exactly the way I run my family. And that's because that's what I've learned in the Q course is that we talk things out as a team. There is, you know, it really is a team decision. And so the fact that the dad sat Sarah down and said, we're going to go back out and see Sammy one last time. Would you like to come? And she said, no, I don't want to come. And the dad leaves out. um,
1: And uh and you, you you did the rundown real quick, and uh I've so so everyone knows. Let's talk about who, who's in the house as as of as of right now, or who's on the uh, the property on their side. Obviously, okay. we know the son is dead in the okay. shed. Yep. Uh,
0: Vicky. Kevin Harris.
1: Mother. Kevin Harris is there right? Twenty
0: eight year old male.
1: Okay. Yep. Randy, um, obviously.
0: Randy, um, the and then the mother, Vicky. Um, just a dainty, dainty, feminine woman does not wear jeans, wears dresses, very feminine woman, um, Older holding sister. a baby. I think it was a 14 and month a, old, 10 month old, right. or something.
1: the oldest sister and an infant, and an infant daughter and a nine-year-old daughter, I think and a so three year-old. daughters,
0: okay. right? Like, so a nine-year-old, 16 a year old, a nine-year-old, a 15 year old, and like a, I don't know, 10 months or 14 months old, but a yeah. baby, like baby yeah. in the arms. Um there is ruckus going down um, at the, in the valley, and that's where the fed bunnies are uh, making a camp um, where they're bringing in tanks, armored personnel vehicles, a little bird, uh, a Huey. Um, so you can imagine all the all the noise going on. Um, and they hear a lot of clinking and clacking. And so the dad, they go out, they check the baby uh, or they check Samuel who's dead. And then they all venture out to a rock, a big giant rock at the property, at the front of the property. I'm going to, oh didn't want to spoil that for you. Let me show you a picture of this rock that they're talking about. Um, you can see this big rock right in, in, uh, in where the house is. There's a big giant rock right there. So they were all up on this rock. You can see the shed just off to the right as you look at it. That's the shed where uh, Sam was. So they're standing up on this rock, going back and forth from this little shed to check on, um, to check on Sam. Now this is just going to be Sarah, Kevin, and the dad. They're standing up on this big giant rock overlooking the property um, to see what's going on next. They're looking at this camp or listening to this camp. The helicopters flying over, uh, the news media is flying over, and as the dad is coming back um, from the shed, a shot rings out, and he's struck in the shoulder. And so he takes off running back towards the house and he gets to the front door of the house. Oops, shit, I keep doing it. This is the house right here. And they swing the door open and a sniper is going to take a second shot at Kevin who is trying to make his way back to the house. The uh, round goes through Kevin's uh, armpit and, and chest area and into Vicky's face. And Vicky's going to crumple over on top of the child sarah is helping her wounded father get back into the house sees the mother drop at the door assumes that the mother is just dropping to cover up the baby they get into the door um shot in the arm uh randy pulls in vicky and the baby um again kevin is 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 wounded really bad he's got a shot through the armpit that's i mean he Artery, heart, everything is right there. He's in bad shape. They get them inside the house. Um, she's getting uh Sarah, the 16-year-old, is getting blankets. She's crawling through the house because they don't want to get shot. Very traumatic. She's getting the blankets. She's she's trying to help Kevin. Um, just a massive pool of blood, she recalls. Um, he was cold. She got blankets. And then the dad asked to get one more blanket for mother Vicky. She came back in and the dad said, put the blanket over Vicky's face. And she remembers as a girl saying, you don't put a blanket over somebody's face. She didn't realize that her mother had been shot and not only had she been shot, she'd been shot in the face. This is where I know that Randy was a green beret. Randy covered the mother's face with all of her hair so that the exit wound of the face would not be visible to, um, to the rest of the, to, to Sarah who was going to cover up in the nine-year-old daughter. And uh, that is only something that a green beret would probably think of or a ranger or somebody with extreme experience, um, with things like that. We know that, um, a lot of the green beret training, a lot of ranger training when you, when you shoot somebody, sometimes you cross their arms to signify that you've already killed them and that they're dead. Some people spray paint them. You know, if you were in Fallujah and you were an infantryman, they might put X's across the bodies, maybe drop a chem light, um, signifying, but we're used to dealing with, or have training on dealing with what does somebody do after the dead, somebody with no training doesn't think about anything. They're just like, shit, she's dead, she's dead. But this guy was like, she's dead, grab ammo, blah, 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 cover the face, get a blanket over. And um, I think that just really goes more to saying that uh, I'm more convinced that this guy has significant amount of training, at least on how to deal with somebody who has perished. But very sad. Now, the sniper shot through the door and hit a woman in the face holding a baby, he says in his later accounts that he was aiming for Kevin's spine and he missed, but he took the shot from 200 yards and everybody was running. Um, In one of the podcasts, there was a joke that was being made by the podcasters of what a shitty fucking sniper fucking. Oh, not a very good sniper. If you're trying to hit somebody in the spine and you miss them, she says by three feet and hit him at like one, nobody's body's three feet wide, bitch. Like, we're talking like, six or seven inches okay and they're running i don't find this to be a bad shot at all you hit your fucking target That's, however
1: hitting sh- a target on the move it's the hardest shot to do to the sniper oh, that actually was a, a, a very good shot
0: great shot 200 yards what
1: 200 you know yards. Like- i got and we're not he's not i'm assuming he's not just walking into the house you know meandering into the house he is he, hes running like his life depended on So he's moving at 12, 13, 14, 15 miles an hour. Yeah. He's moving out.
0: Hunched over, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, it was a hell of a shot. Uh, and it
0: was through a door, you know? And cool. they will like say, like, well, who shoots somebody on the other side of a door when you don't know what's on the other side of that door? I. Liz, I disagree. I think that's a beautiful shot. I mean, I think it's a great shot. I I think, um, you know, I don't think that he anticipated his round going through him and into somebody else's face. That's just, mm -hmm, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I I would, I I would go out on a ledge and guarantee that he, he was had no idea that, you know, or, or was not thinking about, you know, the, the round going when you're sitting there tracking an individual, his heart's pumping. I doubt he's shot very many people as a sniper it, it's it's a crazy chaotic situation again guy on the move he's just tracking this guy with the best of his ability trying to make the best shot he's only focused on his target only focused on his target he has no idea what's behind that what what's behind Kevin I can assure you yeah
0: and um and and, is, and, they didn't even outside. know Vicky was they didn't even know Vicky was dead until way later in this siege. So he didn't even oh, know that his bullet. So a lot of the podcast so, and, go ahead.
1: And, and in fairness, neither did the family. So there's a lot of here's yeah what and the feds are wrong all day long on a lot of things and and there's some undue um, there's some undue uh, judge you know, judging going on on that sniper where a lot of people say, how do you not know that you didn't shoot and kill the mother? There's a lot of people out there that 100% believe that the feds knew that they killed the mother that day. And I just don't believe it. And they can have their, uh, people can have their opinions. And at the end of the day, that's my opinion. If you're a sniper, you're still. My my opinion on is, is, is based off of experience and being a sniper. So unless you have my experience, I would, uh, I would tend to to take what I say is a little bit, Yeah, and I
0: think just at a human level, if you're a sniper and you're a high-level sniper, and and like let's say you're a Brent Tucker, um, and Brent, I'm I'm asking, I'm not telling, I don't have the experience, but I'm asking. You're in this situation, you're probably going males first, right? You're probably not going, shoot Randy, transition over to woman. You're probably going for the males first, especially since you know that the males are the ones that killed Deegan.
1: so. Absolutely. And that's what they did. They shot Randy first. Right. They were going for Kevin next. They, they were, you know, uh, you know, prioritizing uh, their targets. They're also prioritizing their targets in, in, in a different way, which is, um, which you also do as a sniper. Is you know, um, the I don't, I don't want to use the word ease of shots, but you know, the why would you? Why would you? When you have a male that's still outside the house running, even though that's a hard shot. That's a much easier shot than someone in inside the house, you know, under the porch, in the structure. I don't. um, That's just not the 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 the, the shot you take.
0: Right now, here, let's look at the front door from 200 yards out. Now, I, I would assume that this picture is probably taken from from one of the OPs. Right? Why would they take this picture? Why would this be included in the crime scene photos? um but like you know you can see what kind of house we're talking about you can see the shadows you're you're 200 yards away Um, by you know the back porch is wide open but this all happened on the front porch let me get you a better picture of the front porch here here's the front porch so again that's a very dark if that man with the red hat that you see in the picture was inside that door frame you probably wouldn't know if that's a guy or a girl only reason you know is because he's he's got a back background which is the inside of the house again there's no electricity Um, there's a good
1: picture there's a great look look how dark the, the, the 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 door is right there if someone's a one foot inside that, that doorway, you may see see their, their silhouette and you may see that they're there, but it's, it's not, it's much different than the person outside running that door. There's, there's, there's two more things that I want to point out this one. He did know that she was there because in later on, when they go to court, he does, you know, uh, at some point he draws a, uh, a hand drawing trying to recreate it. And he does know that she was there. But knowing she's there and aiming for are two completely different things. Sure. My other point to counter that would be the RE at this point. Now this is the FBI HRT team take, taking these shots. The RE is wide open. They can they can basically kill anyone they want to. What as always with any conspiracy theory is the why. So for this to be true, why would he not come back and say, "Yeah, uh, we shot we shot Randy, we shot Kevin, and we shot the wife." they never disclose and come back and tell their headquarters that they shot the wife. There was, there was no reason to hide it. They, yeah, they're allowed to, they, 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 they're allowed to, they, they never disclose it. And then not, not to jump ahead, but as the, well, it's probably uh, a good time to, yeah. to take the next step, which is they start trying to, to trying to play towards the feelings of, of the, the mother. And they, and they know the mother is a substantial f- figure in this household. So they're trying to play placate towards her. The very next morning, they come out and they're like, "Hey, Vicky, how was breakfast? Uh, what did you feed the kids for breakfast?" You know, come out and talk. You know, we can we can end this. You know, they start placating towards Vicky. They would have never come out and 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 started trying to talk to Vicky if they knew she was dead, knowing that would only and now. Of course, here's the flip side of it: these guys are in the house, dead mother. And there's a loudspeaker going on the very next morning, harassing them, almost, you know, finger poking the finger saying, hey, where's your where's your mother at? Knowing that their mother's dead in the kitchen. Just perfect storm. Just another level of a perfect storm. I don't think that he knew he shot her and killed her.
0: So this, uh, I don't think so either. I think you're hundred percent correct on there. Um, they wouldn't have gone through all that. I don't think there's any conspiracy theories that go behind this, except that just, it was just a perfect shit storm that everybody kind of fucked up. So now they're going to have a, a, a long siege after this. Um, uh, do you remember how long the siege was? Was it 11 days?
1: I, I uh, don't. Yes, here uh, in
0: the aftermath, uh, requesting media support from the Idaho. Blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, it's going to be like a 10 or 11 day uh, stand, 11 days, 11 days. Um, several hundred federal agents surround the house, negotiators, negotiations for surrender were attempted. If you listen to Sarah's story on the podcast that, uh, that, that Sarah, that Sarah's on, she'll say that, uh, they, they couldn't really hear anything. Like it was very muffled. They knew that they were talking to them, but they were talking so far away and from an armored vehicle that they were not able to have any kind of like understanding of what was going on but they were highly annoyed at like how they were trying to coax them out. Like we have pancakes who would like pancakes this morning, like a female psychologist voice that they would la- that was a, a female psychologist as they would later, uh, come to to learn about so they were just kind of like yeah fuck you like you shot my mom you shot my brother you shot Kevin who's like my brother and now you're trying to coax me out with fucking pancakes like yeah yeah, okay boomer Um, not today (laughs) Um, not gonna happen Um, and now this is really weird this is the end of the story Um, but they finally bring in a third party individual again which I've said from the fucking beginning would have solved all of this uh, from the get go before you even needed to put recon teams out there. Um, but they get this guy, Bo Grites, James Gordon, known as Bo born in night. Uh, listen, he was a United States army, grain beret served uh, with distinction in the Vietnam war. This dude, uh, was trying to run for president in 1992. Um, his military career though, uh, he was in Cambodia. He ran some like black ops, I guess, if you will. um, he had to retrieve a, a black box from a downed Lockheed YouTube spy plane. And uh, it came out later that they were running some, you know, uh, all sorts of weird operations uh, uh, in Cambodia. He was in 5th Special Forces Group, though. He served in Vietnam. I, I, I want to say that, like, some of the the... Rambo movies were made after this guy. He was uh, right there with the Mujahideen like in the in the 70s and early 80s. This guy's got some crazy. But then he was a POW MIA advocate and then he really got into conspiracies and his big conspiracy that he was all about was new world order and one world government. And that's what he was talking about all throughout the 80s. Um and they There's use it. this guy to, to go and make con- contact with, this is what another piece of evidence that shows me that this guy was probably a green beret because Bo exactly. sort of leaves the armored personnel vehicle and just knocks on the dude's door. And we see this in the Rambo movie. Do we not?
1: Right. This is
0: Lieutenant what, Colonel, you know, that's
1: right. Troutman. Yeah. The, uh, but this is my take on, on uh, on, on, on Bo Grites. and, 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 and you beat me to it there. Another reason why I believe he was a green beret, Randy Weaver is because of this. You already touched on it. Bo rights was a, a public figure at this time. Bo rights actually inserted himself at, at, into this. Um, and he said, Hey, he's a green beret. I, I can, I, I can talk him down. And this again, just goes back from being in the community. And back then the community was even smaller I'm sure Bo Greitz made was able to make one or two phone calls to a couple other SF buddies. It's a small community. Uh, he did he didn't personally know Randy Weaver, but I'm sure someone goes, "Oh yeah, I know Randy Weaver. He was a Green Beret." And 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 at that point, Bo was like, "I'm gonna get I'm gonna get involved in this." Um, I do I, I hope and I do believe he did it out of good intentions. Uh, but also, uh, he was a public figure at that time. You know, was was running for president. Uh, it was also a uh, a way to get his name out there as well but i'm glad but i'm glad he did because he is the the person that ended the siege without further yeah. bloodshed
0: yeah he goes in and a sarah recounts like the dad was just immediately in full trust of beau that's right. she that's still to this day doesn't understand it and that shows me that he's probably a green beret because if i'm having a siege and brent tucker comes to my house uh, you know that brotherhood doesn't get broken that's right um at least back in the eighties. Uh, I mean, exactly. even with my, my circumstances, when, when I was removed from the course, I still had this, like, you know, there were some guys in trouble and I refused to to talk about it. And that's why I was removed from the course for being unethical. Um, those guys got in trouble. I did not. Um, but I still was removed from my bit of training because I refused to, to talk, but, and I wasn't even a green beret yet, but I still had this sense of brotherhood where I was like, I'm, my air of responsibility. So I think even in the eight even in the late late eight late eighties early nineties he that that camaraderie that like trust of like uh people don't break that brotherhood you know what but I mean like this I, dude's really
1: although I believe he did it with you know with some uh with both some some uh sure I don't know wanna say selfish you know intentions but also some good intentions but I don't want to downplay the balls it took on this guy who didn't know Randy Weaver at the end of the day This, yeah, he's a, he's, he's cornered. You know, he's living like a a hunted man and he's not, and you know, you from the outside looking in, you don't know if he's in in his right mind and you don't know if he's going to kill anyone and everyone, uh, that, that comes against him and his family at this point. And for him to just basically just walk right right up to the house and say, Hey, Randy, it's Bo. And uh, according to the story, you know, Randy goes back and he says, Bo Grites, is that you? And, that's it. And, and I'm sure at that point, when he heard that that kind of that friendly voice of you know Bo writes, is that you? I'm sure his heart finally start stop beating 200 beats per minute, and was like, okay, I, this is gonna this is gonna end the way I was hoping you know it, it would end. He could easily yeah. lost his life that day. I could have yeah. bold mover. bold maneuver.
0: As Bo recounts this, that they gave Bo like what, this was his last opportunity. They said like if they don't come out. Like you have to get them out in the next 12 hours or we're going in. And again, like that is this just, you know, amateur hour. um, And that's what happened with Waco. There was a lot of like rushing in and I hope that we've all learned from these things. But at the end of the day, we're all the fed boys pieces of shit in this. No, I think what we can learn from this though is um, as a law enforcement officer yourself, you're going after these low level people. Do you have to remember that you're going after low level people? The guys that you're going after that you make it personal? are just the, are, are like low-level buyers. And you're trying to get the bigger guy. Stop treating the lower-level guy. You knew, these agents knew from the beginning that even if... Weaver was a white supremacist, he was bottom of the barrel white supremacist. Why are we wasting all this energy on somebody that you can't even get to saw off two fucking shotguns? Like, why aren't we going after the preacher, the Congress, the guy that's holding this Aryan Congress? Like, why aren't you going after the big fish here? Why are you so obsessed and putting all of these resources is how many recon teams did you have on this Aryan Nation Church? If that's what this is all about, because at the end of the day, all you have or a couple of very loose, like barely felony, if felony charges. And as we see at the end of this case, um, everybody is going to be kind of adjudicated from this, yeah. and and doesn't do uh, very much prison time, jail time at all. And uh, everybody is kind of like, and and the civil suit happens, and the the Weaver family ends up winning three point something million dollars out of one whole- million. $3.1 million. So, uh, which Randy is not enough, his-
1: by the way. Which is not enough no, for the feds to kill your son and your wife.
0: No, and I think now they all reside in Montana. Uh, Randy Weaver and his daughter, uh, Sarah, they wrote a the book called The Federal Siege at Ruby Ridge. It was released in 1998. The Weaver family, including Randy, um, moved to Montana, Sarah and the other two Weaver daughters are employed there. 2012, after she became a born again, Christian, Sarah Weaver said that she forgives the federal agents who killed her mother and brother. Um, by the way, if you get a chance to listen to any of Sarah's podcasts, I encourage you to do it. She's, she's wonderful on podcasts. It's just a heartbreaking story. But remember at the end of the day, she's telling one side of the story. And, um, I do feel for the, the agent that killed Vicki. I'm sure this isn't something that sits well in his heart. I think you've no. got to humanize these agents at some point. You can't just look at them as just a big disgusting, you know, I, Joe Rogan's kind of guilty of it at this point, you know, saying that the FBI sees this as a win, maybe as a whole, they see it as a win, but I guarantee you some of those guys boots on the ground um, with the information that they had, they really thought they were doing the Lord's work. I mean, think about all the soldiers that served in Fallujah. Not one of them was there to, to fight for oil. They were fighting for the oppressed. They were fighting for what they truly believed was right. In that time, so uh, we have to remember that these agents um, were humans and doing the absolute best they can. I hate this picture, but this is a picture um, of the cool guys at the end of this raid. I don't like all the smiles and the, the irreverence here, um, but again, this is. The uh, I, I
1: would different. I would almost guarantee you as well. If you could talk to those guys today, they're not proud of that picture either. You know, there's you know, I know there's a lot I, more I, information I, now everything's yeah. yeah hindsight's always 2020 um and what's what's crazier uh, about this is what we should have learned from this waco happens six months later and we repeat the same, same. exact that's a whole nother podcast love to do it with you but we yeah. repeat the same and we eventually get it right so to speak there's a lot of things that we finally fix after waco but
0: And I think we're making the same mistakes with January six. I think they're cornering and pocketing a lot of people that were at January six, a green beret, Jeff McKellop. Um, uh, that was one of my instructors was was wrapped up in j6 and, and i think that we we might see another one of these in 2024 especially with them going after um over 1100 uh people who are on the grounds outside that they haven't even started to wrap up yet um uh, biden putting that out last week again follow our political news on patreon or on wednesdays on this channel uh but they had put it out that they are they're going after 1100 people who were just on the federal grounds outside of the building that never actually went And all it's going to take is one of these guys to be like i was exercising my rights and you have no authority to come get me and we we were going to see another one of these standoffs i really truly believe
1: i do too we're at a power we're at a powder keg moment in in this country and i think it really this uh, i feel like you know we probably say it every presidential election it's probably true every presidential election but it gets bigger every time this is the biggest uh decision point and turning point of this country and Whether we see another one of these uh, again or not, I truly believe completely depends on the next presidential election. And if things don't change and get different, I do believe there's a good chance we'll see something else like this.
0: I just pray that if you're a law enforcement officer watching this and you see a rules of engagement that are basically like shoot on site, which we know, uh, will never be a real rules of engagement for, for anyone that you say something that you ask the questions right. yes. of Ruby Ridge. Who really is this guy? And I think you got to ask yourself really quickly. First is what crime do we have committed here? I've fallen into this. Listen, I've become obsessed with hunting people down as a young cop because I was like, they're selling dope out of that house. But if you look at it now right 10 15 years later uh, they're just selling dope out of a house and they're not even selling hard dope it was marijuana like do i really want to risk my life do i want to risk SWAT members lives over yeah. over some uh, you know you know just ask yourself like how far are you willing to go and is it worth it before you get involved in any of these things Absolutely. Um, you know, I said on Thanksgiving, it was really funny. We went uh, during COVID, we went to a house Thanksgiving party during the, the height of those lockdowns, if you remember, and they said that nobody c- could not have anybody more than 10 people at the house. Um, I wasn't uh, I had just stopped being a police officer. We were at the house and I'm one of the people at the house. None of them were veterans or anything like that. They said, Eric, what would you do right now if the police came to the door and and, uh, you know, told us that we had to disperse? And I would say my wife is here. Um, there are eight children in this house. I want you to call your supervisor, but first I want you to call your wife and I want you <laughs> to ask your wife if, is it worth my eight children? Cause it's worth it to me. I'll die in front of my, uh, in front of these eight kids and I'll risk these eight kids life to show them what it means to stand for the constitution and stand for my rights. And, and that's worth it to me. Now, is it worth it to you? And I would say, call your wife first. Talk to your wife, and then call your supervisor and ask him, "Hey, you know, do we want to pursue this? Because this guy is telling me right off the bat, like this is it. This is the hill he dies on." And I said, "And today on Thanksgiving, I'm not usually this kind of a person, but on Thanksgiving Day, uh, I feel like this is my absolute right, and I right. would want to teach my children that this is the hill I'm willing to die on today on Thanksgiving." Right. So, if a cop came here today, that that would be my. Nor I'm pro law enforcement. Listen, I I'm pro like obviously right. right. But in that moment, um, and I still stand by that today. Um, there, I, there was no way you were going to tell me I can't have Thanksgiving with my right. family.
1: And 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 not to get on a you know a, a a huge rabbit trail, but that that is that is the beginning and definition of of, of tyranny. Like what was happening during the lockdowns during COVID was was very tyranny like, and uh, that was something this country was founded on to fight against, and we've just become very very complacent. Uh, and don't take that at content at uh, a context. Say like, "Hey, Brent, Brent's calling for the uh, for the Revolutionary War. I'm not, but I'm saying we have become very complacent with our own rights. And once you allow people, the government, to take away your rights, um, it, you have to draw the line somewhere. You have to draw the line somewhere. And we're getting closer to that. Is all I'm saying."
0: Brent, I appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy life. You guys can find Brent Tucker at First Responder Coffee Company and First Responder Cigar Company. You know that we're the number one channel where first responders go to be informed, mainly informed and uh, very entertained. I hope you guys were entertained today. Um, If you want to support guys that are supporting first responders... Uh, then support First uh, Responder Cigar Company. Search them out on the interwebs. Make your order. Make your purchase. You got your local cigar shop. Put in some orders. Get some coffee. um, You know, support those who support us and and for a guy like brent to actually come on our podcast today it's really important i know that you got you're very active in hunting down human traffickers these days you've got so many feet and so many fires you're still active you're still in the game um but you took your friday to to sit with us for like almost two and a half hours uh to break down this important case that i know that you know uh, I, it's probably special to you too right you know because he was a, a green berylian
1: absolutely when uh when when you reach out to me and uh and and uh, came across my desk. Uh, I was all in. Was was even a question? I was clearing off my schedule to do this with you, Eric. So I appreciate I, I appreciate you not forgetting this incident. And it's something we shouldn't forget. And uh, I think a lot of people learned something today that that it, it wasn't what they thought it was. We have to know about history so history doesn't repeat itself.
0: Oh, couldn't say it better. Let's end it there, guys. Thank you all so much. Uh, Guns up, giddy up. We'll see you guys next week, starting things off with Uncuffed Mondays, All Society and Culture News, so that you don't sound like an asshole at the civilian barbecue, giving you something else to talk about other than dead babies and domestic violence. For myself, Eric Tanzi and the Failure Stop crew, and Brent Tucker, First Responder Cigar Company and Coffee Company, uh, thank you guys so much for your time and your patience.